when the script arrived, I was in Hollywood uh, and just finished literally on the last day of a film when the script arrived. And I thought, oh, George Lucas, that's, you know, a name to conjure with in the avant-garde thing. And then I opened it and saw it was science fiction. I thought, not for me. And started to read it and was held in the, although the dialogue was appalling, but there was something about it which made you go on turning the pages. Now that's fairly rare in a script. When I met Lucas, we could talk the same language, I think. Uh, and I enjoyed doing it, but I don't think anyone had much confidence in the, in the picture. Except, in a funny way, me. I didn't know it was going to be that success, but um, I heard now and then people disparaging the work, and I would say, now you mark my words, it's being done with great taste and uh, imagination. There's something more to it than you think. another episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the film podcast that goes back to revisit movies that bombed in the theaters and maybe the critics were a little harsh. I'm your host, Troy. With me is my best friend, Brad. Hey, Brad, this is a this is a pretty exciting episode, right? Yeah, I got a bad feeling about this, Troy. Oh, <laughs> see, you're already, you're already making some Star Wars jokes. So folks, we should probably let everybody know that this episode um, 47 is uh, not a bomb podcast. I, I, I don't know. What, what tag would you give it? It's not a new hope. It's it's why can't we have nice things because of the Internet? Something like yep. that. Yeah, let's uh, go burn down uh, some people's houses because they destroyed our childhood. Oh, OK. Episode. That's this episode. And it's a huge special episode because for the first time ever, in, in the history of doing this, we don't have one or two or even three people on the show, but we're going to have four people talking about 2018's Solo, A Star Wars Story. And in order to tackle such an iconic big film, we had to bring in the big guns. So with us is a couple of folks from one of our favorite podcasts, the VH Files podcast. We have none other than Josh and Jenny Liu on the show. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Great. Doing good. I'm happy to be back. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you, Jenny, because... Married couple on our podcast. This is great. Yes. Yep. Nothing can go wrong now. <laughs> 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 no, this is going to be fun. So, Jenny, you, you know the rules, right? Any new guest, we end up asking five questions as sort of a level set, right? We want to get to know you. The audience wants to kind of understand what your film tastes are, what you're like. And we worked all day for your questions specifically. <laughs> These are tailored just for you. So are you nice. ready for this? Troy, Troy gave me homework. I gave, I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> and, and I think you were telling us before the show that you listened to a few other episodes and you were studying yeah. and there was one question that was haunting you. Which one was that one? Yeah. When you had our co-host Eric on the show, you asked him, what is his 
favorite movie from his least favorite genre. And I was haunted by that question because I wondered how I would answer it. And I still don't have an answer, I don't think. I think one time I... I suggested something. I do not remember what it was now, but yeah, I mean, I know we talked about like, what is your least favorite genre? And I don't even know if we ever did like decided on that. Yeah. Cause I mean, we just, we, we like a wide variety of movies. I'd say you don't get into horror and stuff as much as I do, but you do like but horror movies horror yeah. all the time. So, so. It's- Oh, I didn't know that we bye bye Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's this okay. is going to be fun. All right. So listen, tonight we're going to talk a lot about Star Wars. Um, but I, I thought, hey, let's let's have some fun with these questions. This is um, obviously something we tailored just for you. And I'm going to start out with the first one. Okay. So um, Jenny, which group best represents your personality? Is it the Rebels, Bounty Hunters, the Imperials, Jedi, or Sith? <laughs> Wait, it re- represents my what? Your personality. <laughs> so if you had to pick one of those groups because... For my personality? Yeah, which which one kind of oh, best describes you? What, what do you? I mean, this is, you know, think of this as like, a, I don't know, a Rorschach test in psychology or something. So we're going to... We gonna were kind of just talking about this on the way home earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... I have a Jedi symbol tattoo on my foot, so I'm going to have to go with Jedi. Um, Well, actually, you can't be a Jedi, so no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) A Jedi? Okay, so you're not just part of the good guys. You're like the really, really good guys, right? Yeah. So Um, do you have a favorite Jedi? Oh, jeez. I told you this was going to be tough. Mm. This is a really hard question. Um, I really love Obi-Wan, um, and I love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, like, we'll just go ahead and throw that out there that we're on board with Ewan McGregor. Cannot wait (laughs) for the series. I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of a rule follower. Um, you know, always trying to do the right thing. I'm a Hufflepuff through and through different fandom, but you know, I like to keep the peace, follow the rules. And I mean, try to find balance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you you can see my background, you're probably seeing more Sith things in the background here because I decorated the room. Um, we were talking about, we wanted to get a flag to fly out in front of our new house. And we didn't want to just go with any kind of generic flag. So we were like, we should get like a empire flag or, you know, a, a rebel flag. And we were like, let's get the one where it's house divided. It's, it's half rebel, half empire. So we're kind of on separate ends as far as that goes, I think. Okay. But all right. Jenny like, would definitely like be on the good side. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that hundred percent. That's a great answer. All right, Brad, you got the second question. Yeah, if Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you see play the lead role as you? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's really interesting. Um, I didn't get these questions when I was on the first Oh, Josh. Time. Sorry, They're different for a reason. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Keep coming um, back, Josh. We'll, we'll probably ask you one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that's a really interesting question and I might get a little too deep for your podcast here, <laughs> but um, probably no one that is a known 
actor now. Um, because like, I was going to say A.D. Bryant because I really like her and um, I kind of see myself in her a bit in some of the roles that she's taken on. But I think that there's an incredible lack of fat representation in Hollywood. And as a plus size woman, like I don't see myself represented in the actresses who are the leads in movies. So I would like to see more people who look like me be the lead role. Hey, I agree. I saw it was when they, I think it was Robert Rodriguez was giving a lecture and he was talking about Danny Trejo and Danny Trejo has this such unique look in his face and, he, and he was making the point that a lot of people that they put on screen, it is a very specific look feel and it's all the same, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I really enjoy films that have representation of what the real world looks like and not like yeah. all the plastics in California or wherever they're filming. So yep. I, I totally get that. And that was even kind of a topic on one of our last podcasts as we were talking about how, cause we primarily have been doing a lot of eighties movies on mm -hmm. our show and um, we were talking about how the 80s just seemed to really kind of represent more diverse oh, yeah. people. Back, I mean, people who don't look like movie stars. Right. Like, like, they look like they could be regular people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting that that crossed over a little bit. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I love like, that. You think about it, like, would Molly Ringwald be as big of a star today as she was in the 80s? Like, cause she's not like strikingly beautiful and she's redhead and she's, you know, like, just think about that. She was one of the biggest five biggest actors in eight in the eighties. Yeah. No, I, I feel like she might've been, cause I kind of see like Emma Stone or someone like that as kind of like yeah. a Molly Ringwald yeah, good character point. or not character. Cause she's a person, but um, you know, she's, you would not consider her a classic beauty but she is beautiful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this next question, I, this is the first question I actually thought of when we found out you were coming on the show. So here we go. Name a movie Josh has recommended that you didn't think you would like, but it turned out to be great. Oh my God. So it's, it's gotta be I something was gonna that say, he If it's a movie that I recommended that she can't stand, there's lots of those. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this one is something you recommended and you were kind of hesitant to watch, but all of a sudden you're like, wow, that, that was really good. Has, has something like that happened recently? Recently? Uh, Ever? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's happened, but you know, what's funny is I'm open to watching most movies. Um, I just like to be entertained. I'll pretty much watch anything unless I take a look at, you know, you want to watch a Serbian film with me? No, no, you, you told don't. me I didn't yeah. want you to, don't, you know, you don't want to watch that. Yeah. So, I mean, see, oh gosh, I hate being put on the spot. It's <laughs> I tried to prepare you. I know it's too hard. Um, do you remember anything? You can think of. I can't really come up with anything off the top of my head. I mean, I I tend to be the one who finds out about newer movies and mm -hmm. is like, hey, maybe we should watch this and I'll show you trailers. Um, I mean, recently we did watch Possessor, which I was really into because I'm a huge Cronenberg fan and it's his son's movie. And we watched that and you really liked it. Yeah, I didn't have any reservations about watching that movie, though. Yeah. I w okay, here's one. All right. Um, 
I will watch horror movies, but I have a very specific set of horror movies that I hate and they have to do with paranormal things and things that could never happen. Um, like I saw the ring and then that was it for me. Like no more paranormal movies ever. Yeah. She, to, to this day, she will not watch the I ring. Won't. Um, for a very long time, I would not watch any of those movies. And then like Josh would watch them and I would ask him, tell me about the movie. I don't want to watch <laughs> it, but just tell me what happens because okay. in my mind, it's fine. But like visual confirmation of the, the thing was just too much. Um, so I'm going to say uh, probably like The Conjuring or Paranormal Activity. Like I think Paranormal Activity was the first paranormal movie you got me to watch. And the way you got me to watch it was you said, these people have an awesome house <laughs> and I oh, really wow. need you to see this house. <laughs> Well, there's a story that comes with that, too, because I, I had heard all the hype around Paranormal Activity when it was first out. Right. And when I went and saw it, I was in a theater by myself. Okay. So I was like, oh, well, if this movie is as creepy as everybody says it is, I'm going to be in this theater by myself. It's going to be the prime example of like, if this movie's going to get me, it's going to get me now. And I found myself like completely in awe of the house they lived in, in that movie and could care less about what was going on in the movie. <laughs> Whoa. Um, okay. I, I do watch them and enjoy watching them. And I did get her to watch them with me and she did seem to enjoy those. Yeah. But. I can watch those and like not be affected except like the third one. Is, the third one was pretty creepy. I don't like little kids. Like, oh yeah. The little kids. Yeah. yeah. The Bloody Mary one too. Yeah. 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 That's, I don't mess with that. <laughs> All right, good answer. I like that. All right, Brad, you you got number four. I think you're going to do right. four and five. So this this yeah. one, this is probably the question you were expecting. Yeah. Name a mo name a movie Josh recently recommended that was terrible. <laughs> Put him on the spot. Let's hear it. Yeah, come let's on. hear it. Let's um, let's hear where he gets it wrong. Are we going to talk about the show we just recorded? No, because I enjoyed watching that movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. What? You it's thought, terrible. You, you thought, whoa, whoa, hold on, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. The, oh, wait. <laughs> Let's make sure. Oh, are we talking about like the Jason Momoa was on my one? side Or are we here. talking about the Arnold Schwarzenegger one? Yeah. The Arnold, the original Conan the Barbarian you thought was terrible. Not the Destroyer, yeah. the Barbarian. The Barbarian. Yeah. We just, we did an episode on this. No, I know. I listened ago. to the episode. Yeah. I, 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 I know Jenny's takes, so. Yeah, and she... She was not entertained by Conan no, the Barbarian. Not at all. <sighs> okay. Sorry. It's I, you know, I missed the time. Yeah. It's breaking my heart with that answer. All right. <laughs> Brad, what's the last one? Uh, what is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everybody? Oh, wow. A movie bomb. Oh. Y'all, this is so hard. <laughs> um, was Empire Records a bomb? Was it? Can we get because, a fact check on that? Because that would totally be my answer. Because <laughs> that is probably a top five movie for me. Yeah. Top five. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Empire it, Records. I know the whole thing. Empire Records was most definitely a bomb. All okay, right. Well, then there you go. $300,000 <laughs> at the box that was office. was it a box office? Yes. Wow. wow. Stay tuned for that one on this show. 
Well, we will be back oh, for that one. I'll come back and talk all about Empire Records. <laughs> she could quote the entire movie verbatim for you. And She's I done did. it. <laughs> it sounds like we should have a quote off and measure if they get it correctly between Brad's Pulp Fiction and her version of Empire Records. Ooh. She could quote. Okay. She could quote Pulp Fiction with the best of them yeah. too. So nice. Uh oh, yeah. that's not my like best friend. challenge, man. <laughs> but we did just watch uh, Empire Records for Rex Manning Day. Yeah, we did. Not oh, too long four four twenty one, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. It was like a week or so ago. Well, and we may we may actually be talking about Empire Records on our show before too long. Is it on the wheel of death? Is it on the wheel of death? It's not on the wheel of death currently, <laughs> but uh, we're still kind of going over some some plans. But I think we're going to do a, a '90s in June for the month of June, so it may make its way into the schedule there. Awesome. Well, tonight we got you on the podcast to talk about an extremely controversial film, according to all the fans on the internet. It's none other than Brad's pick, which is 2018's Solo, A Star Wars Story. Before we get into this, because it's it's got a pretty interesting production, I, I'm just curious, everybody here, are for the most part, is a Star Wars fan. Is, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> So nah, I think Star Wars sucks. <laughs> we, we've got tattoos. I know Brad has a bunch. You just talked about your tattoo, Jenny. Josh, you mm -hmm. have any Star Wars tattoos? It's surprisingly, Jenny got a Star Wars tattoo before I did. I do not have a Star Wars tattoo. Okay. Did, you now, can't be in our club then. <laughs> is, is this a franchise? Now, based on age, I saw the original Star Wars when it came out when I was a kid. Went to Kmart, got my first Star Wars action figure. I mean, I, I am part of the original, the OG club. Now, did you guys come at it from watching like A New Hope, the very first Star Wars film, or did you come in later into the franchise and go back to it? So I have two older brothers. They're significantly older than me, um, like 12 and 14 years older than me. Wow. So when I was born, that was the same year that Return of the Jedi came out. And so actually I had seen Return of the Jedi like probably 40 times before, you know, I was five before I even realized that, oh, there's two more movies. <laughs> um, and they kind of walked me through like, no, this was the first one. And then this is the second one. And you're watching the third one. And so that was like a revelation to me that not only is this movie that I like just one of three, but um, I was actually watching the conclusion. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it, when you see it and it becomes a part of your life, it just kind of stays there. So, okay. Yeah. What about you, Jenny? When did you come into this franchise? So I wasn't born yet when star Wars came out. Um, but you know, I am a child of the eighties. I, I don't remember which movie I saw first, but I remember it being like a present, thing in our house and uh, with my family, my cousin, who's about four years older than me, he still has all of the original action figures in like the Darth Vader helmet carrying case. Oh yes. So cool. Yeah. And me and my cousin, his sister, we would play with the action figures whenever we got together, which is pretty frequently. So we were always playing Star Wars and I had the Ewok Village uh, play set 
that I regret to this day. I have no idea what happened to it, <laughs> but that's like my holy grail. Like if I could ever have a you know piece of nostalgia, be the Ewok village because I missed that thing. I did find an Ewok from it. I'm recently, I'm pretty sure, but not the village. Um, so yeah, I don't think I saw any of the original trilogy in theaters, but I remember watching them on VHS all the time. Okay. What, what about you, Josh? Constantly on in my house as a kid. Um, all the ones that I had were dubbed on, on VHSs, so they weren't in any particular order or anything. So like you'd have to watch lost or uh, a new hope on one ta tape and then find the other tape with empire on it. And what was funny about ours is we had a new hope and then another movie, which I can't remember. And then uh, return of the Jedi and return of the Jedi cut off at the end of the tape where I didn't get to see, like I saw up into where uh, Anakin dies in Luke's arms and then it cuts cuts to black on the tape. And I never, like I had seen the end of the movie, but every time I had watched it since then, I, that's as far as I got. So I never got to watch the Ewoks and everybody dancing on indoor or anything. So that was kind of weird, but empire was on a tape with a bunch of other movies. So it was like always having to like treasure hunt in my house to find where all the star Wars movies were to watch them. So mm -hmm. that's a pretty fond memory I have, but it's been a, a big part of, our love for movies and our relationship. I mean, on our honeymoon, we went to San Francisco for our honeymoon. And we, one of our things that we did on our honeymoon was we went to the premiere of revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's good timing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have all my old star Wars action figures. I've been collecting for a long time. I don't have any tattoos or anything of that nature, but any time a new movie, new TV show comes off, I, I make sure I schedule vacation day because I'm watching that all day long. Mm -hmm. But of, of all the prized possessions that I have, I still have my original Luke Skywalker. Oh, now, yes. He is so original. The, the great story about my Luke Skywalker, so he doesn't have his sword anymore. I, I lost that. And that the way they did these swords is within his arm, he had this little plastic thing that you would push up and that's how the lightsaber would come out. Yep. Um, so I got this thing back in 1977 and got him out of Kmart as soon as, cause dad took me to the film, just went nuts over it as every kid, you know, at five years old did that and his head fell off. <laughs> and so I, I was so upset and my dad would not go back and buy a new Luke Skywalker. So he put a screw on the top of his head to keep his head in and glued it in. So now he looks like a little Jewish Luke Skywalker. I was about to say, when you held him up, I was like, is he wearing a yarmulke? What yes. the hell is that? <laughs> Actually, Luke Goldberg, he's an intergalactic this plays, diamond This plays really smuggler. well on a, uh, on a audio podcast, but that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. You should I, definitely put an Instagram photo up. I will, that, I sure. will yeah. post uh, my my Jewish Luke Skywalker up, and I <laughs> I still have this guy. He's my favorite action figure of all time. But I, I I am so fascinated by this entire franchise. I was so excited to not just live through everything between the TV shows and everything else, but also um, to have kids and watch them live through it, and they yeah. become you know big Star Wars nuts. But this is going to be an interesting discussion because we're at a time now where you hear about toxic fandom and sort of, you know, between Marvel and DC, um, you know, th these, this is a great example of the internet probably not being a great tool right now um, when it comes down to just, you know, discussing something like this. But I, I just full disclosure, 
we're going to kind of go into detail and talk about our thoughts and, and probably have some stuff, but I, I think the four of us are, are pretty level-headed people. You're not going to find us going nuts the way that you might see in some Reddit discussions or some of the reviews right. that Brad's mm-hmm. going to read. And that's what I love about it. Um, but I, I do respect the fan passion. I, I love people getting so worked up about it. Um, a, a good friend of the podcast who's actually been on the show, John, is a huge Star Wars nut. And he has some very, very strong opinions over you know how things are handled currently. And I love that. I, I love the passion about it. But I got to tell you, this is this has been one of those things where um, I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. It's it's something you love is so popular, but at the same time, it's also hard to love some days. I don't know how you guys yeah. feel about it. Hey, you're embarrassed. <laughs> of some of the people who are like, you're in the same group with. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I don't want to hijack your show here, but I am going to go on a little bit of a tangent because this Jen, Jenny and I jumped at the opportunity to talk about this because we, even though it was a big part of our childhood and it, it's, it is part of what we kind of go for in our show. I'm adverse to talking about star Wars on our show. And it's because I don't really want to go down that road of toxic fandom and all of that, because people do have very strong opinions about star Wars Mm -hmm. and it's, it's the, some of the worst movie fans out there are star Wars fans, in my opinion. And it's, it's one of those franchises that you have such a love for and you don't want it to be tainted, but then like, how are we supposed to grow within this franchise if we're not doing different things or, you know, taking the same story and doing it a different way? Like, you can have all these different opinions about it, but you know, this gave us a kind of an opportunity to come on and talk about star Wars, talk about star Wars fandom. This movie is the perfect jumping off point for that because, you know, I'll get into this here in just a little while when we start talking box office and stuff, but like, it's a travesty that this movie was regarded so poorly. And the movie that came out a week later was held in such high regard and is a piece of garbage. So I'll go into that here in just a little bit and that might open a can of worms too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to jump at the opportunity to at least be able to come on a podcast and talk about star Wars and talk about my love for it and talk about my feelings about how fans are about star Wars and things of that nature. So, well, I think one thing that I have learned like during all the pandemic and stuff is like, we need stupid stuff to like and to love. Like mm. at the end of yeah. the day, Star Wars really isn't important. But over right. the past 14 months, I've learned actually it really is. Yeah. And it really <laughs> helps the day-to-day of life to just have those things that are meaningless but mean everything to you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so again, like I understand Star Wars is just the it's I don't want to say just a film franchise, but it's more than that. But these are movies that we have all seen countless times, but at the end of the day, they're movies. But again, it's been reiterated over the past little bit that like when you can't go to movies or, you know, we can't see Star Wars movies in the theater or, I mean, luckily we had the Mandalorian, but just having those things to look forward to means a lot and it really helps life feel better. So, yeah. I mean, case in point, the Marvel shows that are on Disney Plus now, I mean, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, like we've gotten into this groove where we've had a blockbuster Marvel movie coming out every year, a couple of times a year. And since COVID and everything's changed, we don't have that. So now we've got the TV shows working their way in there. And 
by the way, are miles better than they have any right to be. But it's because we're kind of longing for that entertainment now. And I wonder, like, I wonder if COVID would, wouldn't have happened if we would feel the same way about some of these TV shows that we're watching now. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll say you know. this. The, the great thing about talking about this particular subject and, and the great thing about movies, movies are, are probably the most difficult industry, in my opinion, to work in because it is where art and commerce intersect. You can't yeah. you can't fully realize an artistic vision on its own because it needs funding, it needs distribution and everything of that nature. So in my opinion, most films, 90% of the films, there is artistic compromise. And what I find fascinating is within artistic compromise to still come out with a good product, that's very hard to do. Um, Simply because you're working within a a major studio system. Now, even independent Mm -hmm. films, I mean, again, they probably have um, more autonomy and but they also have smaller budgets. So they might not have the most realized vision, but that's why I've always been fascinated with movies, not just in, in terms of a channel to tell stories, but also what happens behind the scenes and how these things get made just fascinates me as much sometimes as what's going, you know, being put on the screen, which is obviously why we did this podcast. It, it would be one thing to kind of go out there and just talk about movies in general. Right. But I think the thing that gravitates um, Brad and I to these particular kind of movies is we're always trying to figure out, like, why, why was this thing not successful? What happened behind the scenes? What was going on with society or the culture at that time? And did any of that play into it? Or was it just a really shitty movie? I mean, <laughs> so this one, I think, is going to be fun to talk about because we're going to talk about something we all love. We're going to talk about a culture that... Um, I, I don't think Star Wars fans are the worst out there. I think they're the most passionate fans, but at the end of the day, they're no different than anybody um, who is a Marvel fan or something of that nature. You just you just have passionate people. Maybe they go too far with it, but dude, that's that's fandom in general. So it's been around, you know, for comic books and everything else. I'm I'm sure um, there's a Harry Potter franchise that might have gone off the rail here and there, or, or books, or you know, some. It, it's just crazy. So. Let, let's get I don't in. know, maybe, maybe the author sucks. Yeah, <laughs> maybe stuff yeah. happens, right? So, um, but let's get into this. The, the first thing we're going to talk about, which, again, is uh, a pretty interesting discussion, is the budget and the box office. So Brad is the math guy, and he's got some interesting facts to share because, for me, I always have to remind myself, Solo, a Star Wars story, is a bomb. It, it actually does didn't make its money back. And in fact, it had a pretty adverse effect on the studio, Lucasfilms and Disney, and pretty much shuttled a lot of movie projects that were planned or coming out. So Brad, let's get into the numbers. How did this thing do? And then where did it set in terms of its budget? So initial budget um, was somewhere around 250. That actually ballooned to somewhere between reportedly 275 to $300 million. Okay. At the time, this was the most expensive movie ever made. Wow. Um, yeah, oh. uh, it's um, grossed $392 million. So domestically, 213 internationally, 179 Um So I went back and I was like, what did the most recent Star Wars films do? Less uh, Rise of the uh, Skywalker, because that's hadn't been kind of out or out or around this time. So this was just kind of more of the, the films closer to it. So episode seven. The Force Awakens, a budget of two forty-five, makes two billion dollars. 
That's incredible. Okay. Uh, well, and, episode, and what? for full disclosure, so when The Force Awakens comes out, it's basically the first big Star Wars movie that we've had in a while. So yes, it was, yeah. it was I a mean, big I mean, it relaunched the, you know, it was, hey, we're going to have a new trilogy. Uh, you know, we haven't had a new Star Wars since these two fine folks on our podcast got married, which was <laughs> in what year, Josh? 2005. Mm-hmm. Okay, good job. Um, <laughs> I like how he says, like, just looks at her like question 2005 wait, waiting, <laughs> waiting for her hand to, like, just come over and smack him. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, Star Wars, Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, $317 million, um, reportedly $1.3 billion. So, not as successful as uh, The Force Awakens, but still over a billion dollars. And then the other sort of spinoff film... Um, was Rogue One uh, box off or budget of two hundred makes a billion dollars. I find it interesting. Opening weekend for Solo, eighty four million dollars, which is not great. Not when your well, not when your budget is three hundred million dollars. Um, right. The um, comparatively with Rogue One, Rogue One opened with one hundred and fifty five million dollars. Um, so you can see it was almost half. Well, let's take a let's take a second and focus on the numbers here. Okay, so we've got a budget of three hundred and some odd million, right? Yeah, three hundred. We'll say three hundred. This movie's a bomb, making three hundred million dollars at the box office. Yeah, three eighty, three ninety two. Like, I understand there's a budget that has to be made back, but think about, like we will never see $300 million in our lifetime. And this movie made that. And yet it's a bomb like that still blows my mind. I, I don't know. I've had a couple of bigs bids for this Luke Skywalker action figure. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I could come close, but uh, no, that, that's a good point. The, the other thing to keep in mind too is star Wars. So it is a property that I think is big domestically within the U S and then the other place that we hope to make a lot of movie or money when we make a movie is China. China. And, and yep. China is not big into Star Wars. Star Wars just does not do well in that country. So yeah. to make a billion dollars back, you're basically having to make that within other countries, primarily the US, um, and not with the help of China. They they just don't do well over there. They they that's never why have. that's why Disney usually leans more towards spending more money on the Marvel movies is because they tend to do well, the better internationally. Right. Um, so if they're going to spend three hundred million dollars on a movie, it's going to be Infinity War, Endgame, things like that, because those are going to be two billion two billion dollars easy. Um, I will say before I get to the films released in May of two thousand eighteen. Um, one to keep in mind is April uh, 27th, small film called um, Avengers Infinity War comes out. Mm-hmm. Again, makes Disney $2 billion. So let's not feel bad for Disney for this movie, for having to write off $80 million for this movie because they're oh, making no. money. Uh, there's never once I felt bad for Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any of this. I wasn't going right. to start a GoFundMe to help them, you know, keep the lights <laughs> on. So. Now for, for new listeners, I always like to play a game. It's called has choice seen this in the theater. Uh, usually when I uh, say the films that came out at the same time that the movie we're talking about, Troy hits about 85%. So let's see. Well, and the other thing that I, I, I keep reminding myself, and especially in watching um, this one again and going back doing research, and I don't know if everybody knew this, the average moviegoer in the U.S. only sees five films a year. 
which to me is mind blowing. Now, yeah. obviously in the circles we run with, we're watching more than five movies in the theater, but keep that in mind too. When you're talking about these films that make like a billion dollars back on these $200 million budgets, statistically in the U S a person is only going to the movie five times a year. So that's five times in 365 days. So, yep. All right, Brad. Confession, I saw Phantom Menace four times the opening weekend. So. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You hit your uh, so did you did you see the remake of Overboard in the theater, Troy? Because you could have seen that on May 3rd. No, I Kurt Russell purist, so I skipped that. Yes. Ha- exactly. haven't, I haven't seen it yet at all. So. Je- Jenny and I were like, F this movie. Yes, <laughs> I was I think, the same I way. Think everyone said F that movie. Um did you see I know you saw this. Did you see Deadpool 2 on May 10th? Oh heck yeah, I saw it a couple of times. Yes. Did you see uh, Life of the Party? It's Melissa McCarthy, I think, is starring in that movie. No, unfortunately, did not. Still okay. haven't seen it. Uh, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, Terminal. It's uh, Margot Robbie. Horrible movie. Have not really seen bad. that one. Nope. Do you see a movie called Show Dogs? <laughs> Show it was Dogs? Wide, nope. Sure. Yes. I, I don't think it played here. Sorry. Um, did you see Tag? Because you see, could have seen Tag. Yes, Remember that Jeremy, movie about the Jeremy guys? Renner. Who, very, it's a yeah. very underrated film. I liked it a lot. We did go see that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And then I, I just thought this was funny. Um, there, Nicholas Cage started a movie called 211, which hip hop has taught me that 211 is uh, code for robbery. So apparently Nicholas <laughs> Cage was in a movie about robberies. So I, I feel like I'm disappointing you. Didn't Didn't see that one either. No, I was probably no. still seeing Avengers or something of that nature. Like, I don't know how many times Deadpool, whatever. So yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot in that crowd because of people were kind of getting away from uh, Avengers and Deadpool. So yeah. And, and again, studios, when they're picking their day top for the film, just keep in mind, they are very much aware of what the national average and statistics are. So that's why they do this, you know, spacing things out. And, and again, why you get so many movies that, um, the big budget ones are coming in the summer or, you know, the Christmas holiday season, because, uh, you know, the people that are going to go and see more than five films are, are very specific demographic and type of customer. So, yeah, again, that's the tricky part of the commerce side, you know, from the Hollywood movies. You know, what's the worst part about getting old, Troy? What's that? It's when you're not in that 18 to 32 demographic anymore and they people just don't care about you. Yeah, they're not making they're not making movies for us, but they don't make ads for you anymore, they make movies for you anymore. It sucks. No. L- um, l- luckily, I'm mentally still 14, so they're still they're still targeting me. Josh, let me guess the movie you were going to gripe about because I know you a little bit and I know your thoughts on things. 3 2 1 Jurassic Park piece of garbage yeah jurassic world let's oh sorry jurassic like, world fallen kingdom might be one of the worst movies ever created. piece of garbage you mean you didn't like the little is. clone girl josh i did not like anything about that movie <laughs> and, and that's what broke my heart is i went and saw that movie and i saw how people were going nuts over it and i was like this movie is gonna make more money than solo and that's a goddamn travesty yeah Wow. Like, oh, I, I was even, so upset about I, it. I, I feel some aggression and toxic, toxic fandom about Jurassic Park coming from you. Um, Listen, we don't have a long enough podcast <laughs> to start talking about this because it will get ugly. You just don't like so, dinosaurs. $1.3 billion, Josh. Wow. So it made $900,000 more. Yeah. See? <laughs> um, a piece okay. of garbage. Okay. For reviews, get the uh, nice button ready, Troy. 
Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has Solo, a Star Wars story at 69%. Okay. Nice. Favorable. Um, All right. um, Audience score, 64%. Okay. Um, I did a little bit of research, Troy. Uh Uh-oh. And I found some people on the internet that did not like this movie. Th- and this I want is, to read. Yeah, this is my favorite. If you uh, listen, folks, if you want to have some fun, <clears throat> just go and look at some of the bad reviews for Solo. Not not from the critics. Okay, you you need to go and read some of this stuff that people went online after seeing the film and and just had to I don't know release some aggression. I'm so. now dumber for reading these reviews, but here we go. Okay, you all can join me. If I could have given this neg stars, I would have. And I'm reading these verbatim, by the way. Since Disney has taken over the series, it has been going downhill fast. Between bad acting and promoting feminism narratives, this movie sucked. The Last Jedi comes in second. It's too bad since I've been watching Star Wars since it came out in the 70s. Wow. Thanks, guy. Okay. Uh, 106 people found that uh, helpful, by the way. Okay. (laughs) This lady named Susan. Worst drunk purchase ever. (laughs) Ever? Dude. Okay. It says vodka, it says vodka made me do it. I thought that was funny. Oh my god! <laughs> um, okay, stop with the politics in your movie made for pure entertainment. That's the subject line. So you can see where this this review is going. Okay, wait yeah. for this one. I'll say this in a way that Disney and Hollywood execs can understand. If you keep forcing your political agenda into movies created for entertainment and escapism, you will lose a lot of money. Hope that is simple enough to understand. That guy is taking a stand. Hey, guess who? That guy's name is Colton. Of course. (laughs) Wow. Okay. The next ones have a little bit of a theme to it. Let me see if you can catch on. If you are an SJW, you will probably like this. But if you want a good movie, go. Oh, you want a good movie to watch? Best go somewhere else. Like Jurassic World. Yeah. um, Yeah. (laughs) Stupid, stupid period. Harrison Ford would roll in his grave if he was in one. <laughs> so, what? I, I don't. Oh my god! I don't know. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> Disney Disney has Mickey Mouse Lucas classics. Not that Lucas made it any better with his prequels. So I love these people's arguments. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but they all laugh all the way to the bank. So many reviews. So my review is pointless. Yes, it is. Three people found that useless or useful. Uh, well, um, three people found that useless too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, four people actually. Four, people, four yeah. of us. Uh, this is not a Star Wars story. Do not waste your life watching this. However, if you're an SJW, you will probably like this. Just be sure to wear a fedora. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what wearing a fedora has to do with anything, but. And this one is called Goodbye, My Love. So someone he really loves is now dead. No one in their right mind could give this hot mess a good rating. What happened to Star Wars? Thanks, SJWs, for ruining everything. Huh. That's just a, oh, this one, my last one. This is my favorite. This might be my favorite review of anything of all time. Oh, this better be good. Yes. Deep State is purposely ruining Star Wars with this trash. That's the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Every scene feels inauthentic no genuine sincerity with any character in this movie the same social justice warrior garbage we got with star wars the last jedi period which that's not a complete sentence but you know i'm not an english major troy 
Our rebellion has been infiltrated and replaced with this manufactured resistance. Protect your mind and stay away from this Illuminati Kool-Aid. Jeez. <laughs> Illuminati <laughs> Kool-Aid? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Those are fun. And actually, technically, the guys at Jonestown didn't drink Kool-Aid. It was like an off-brand. So anyway, not to correct people, but whatever. Well, uh, we learned something there. <clears throat> wow. So, okay. <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind, because we're going to talk about this too, Solo came out six months after The Last Jedi. So yeah. The Last Jedi, Last Jedi came out. It was the one that you know did over a billion dollars. A little divisive on that film. Uh, a lot divisive. <laughs> uh, just real quick before. I before, think it's a great Star Wars movie. Fight me. Yeah, I was I was going to ask everybody's opinion on this because I'm real curious. Before we get into talking about the people behind the camera and in front of the camera, one thing to keep in mind is Solo comes so quickly after The Last Jedi, which if you want to go back and really read some reviews, there, yeah. there is absolute hate for that film through some folks but i'm just real curious and we'll start with you josh you you like the last jedi is is that right i i have watched it a handful of times this ought to tell you something okay like we are big star wars fans we are there day one to see these movies um i thought the last jedi was great I still think The Last Jedi is great. And I think a lot of people are hung up on the political things they talk about in it or whatever. But I think that movie hits a fine line between being comedic and being serious. And it's just, you know, it it's a Star Wars movie to me. And it and people got been out of shape because they did th- something different. You brought a filmmaker like Ryan Johnson, who is an amb- ambitious filmmaker in to take helm of a star Wars movie. I'm expecting him to do something a little off kilter. And I think that's probably why I was able to accept where that movie went, but I don't see what that movie does. That doesn't do what star Wars normally does. I don't see why people have such a, a bad I, I just don't understand people having an issue with that movie like they do, but I, I have good friends who do not like that movie. And I, I've tried to argue this point with them. And it's just one of those where they're, it is a divisive film. People either love it or they hate it. Um, I, to this day have not seen rise of Skywalker since we saw it in the theater. I don't think that one really holds up too well. And I, I can't really comment cause I haven't watched it since the theater, but I would watch The Last Jedi again before I rewatch that one, I think. Okay. What about you, Jane? I love The Last Jedi. I'm with Josh. I, you know, we saw it a couple times in the theater. Yeah. I mean. I, I, like him, do not understand where people don't like it. I can, I see some argument with like the casino scene. People hate that. Yeah, I couldn't remember it off the top of my head, but um, I love that scene because I'm a big animal rights advocate and I was just like, yes. So for me, that was great. But also, if you give me a Star Wars movie or show, I'm just happy to be seeing Star Wars. Yeah, I just want to be in that world Mm -hmm. for a little while. You know, I, I don't want to pick it apart. I don't want to try to find the flaws. I just want to be entertained by the story that I've been watching my entire life. Oh, and makes sense. and to, to put kind of an asterisk on this, like 
we're not even saying that we're gigantic Star Wars fans who will defend it to the grave. We have issues with Star Wars too, but we're not ones to like throw our opinions out there for everybody to, to make more trash out of. Um, do I think some things could have been done differently through the JJ Abrams movies? Sure. Was Ryan Johnson a good pick for the last Jedi? I think so, but maybe they could have gone a different route. There are things about star Wars that I do find problematic, but I, again, like it's a fandom that I've been a part of since I was a child. I don't know if there's much, many other things I can say that about. And I just love, like Jenny said, I love being in that world and I'm happy when I'm there. And you're, you're really going to have to just completely like poop out a Star Wars movie <laughs> to make me really kind of, you know, go completely just like, okay, I'm done with this. Or, or put dinosaurs in it. You might not like it then, right? Yeah. You give me a Jurassic, Jurassic World Star Wars crossover, I might be done at that point. Okay. Well, Brad, I, I, <laughs> I know where you sit on this because I know you, me, and some of our friends had a lot of discussions when The Last Jedi come out, uh, came out into the theaters, and, and I saw it a few times. I know you did too. So what, where, where did you land on it? I, I love it. I think it's one of the most unique. It's probably the most unique Star Wars film they've done. And I like it for that. But I was going to say something heady like Jenny, like, hey, I just like being in the Star Wars universe. Like, give me something that says Star Wars and I'm entertained for two hours or however long it is. I'm happy. Uh, do I think Attack of the Clones is a great movie? No, but I'm with those characters. and I'm in that universe and I will suffer through some of the dialogue in the acting to see two space wizards fight with laser swords, you know, like <laughs> mm -hmm. that's at the end of the day, that's what I want to see. So, um, but I think, I think the last Jedi to me is if you were to kind of put them all on at the same time, you're like, Oh, that one stands out way more than the other ones. Um, you know, it was definitely a course correction from the, the force awakens when they were like, well, all they did was do a new hope again. So then yeah. they're like, okay, well you've, we're going to complain about so you're that. Gonna we're going to shit go. on Yeah, you're going to shit on us for giving you the same movie again, and yes. now we're going to give you something different. You're going to shit on us because we're messing with your childhood. Yeah, I, th that I think what we're getting at is, I'm not sure if Star Wars, like most Star Wars fans, are actually fans of Star Wars. They just like to complain about it, and they feel I'm like right they there have with an, you, Brad. an obligation. I feel the same way. Yeah, nobody hates Star Wars more than Star Wars. Fans. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this. So I, I can't really add to anything. I'm with you guys. I, I have a love for The Last Jedi. It's one of those that every time I revisit, I always get something new out of it. And I can't say that for all the Star Wars films. And and I know that there are some political things and some social commentary that's in there. But I actually kind of find some of that stuff interesting in the context. And, and Star Wars from day one has, already ha has always had some type of political commentary in it. Um, regardless it's about a rebellion against the yeah, so, radical empire. Like I don't understand, but one thing to keep in mind when we start to get into, you know, behind the scenes and in front of the camera and we start talking about production, the time the last Jedi came out. Uh, so, so keep in mind when Lucas film was acquired by Disney and they're doing the film series, there was a plan. So last Jedi is being filmed. Solo star Wars stories being filmed. It's in post-production at the time that, you know, last Jedi is hitting. And there's some drama that goes on behind Solo's Star Wars story, but the drama behind the scenes was not a direct reflection of The Last Jedi. Actually, you don't feel the stuff of The Last Jedi until Solo Star Wars comes out, and then even the box office of Solo 
um, starts to come to light. But let's talk about you know the folks behind the camera. And so first of all, we're going to talk about the person that's credited as director for the film, and and we'll get into some um, explanation about that. But real quick, let's talk about Ron Howard. I I always forget Ron Howard directed this. And then when you go back and look at Ron Howard's filmography, I forget that he directed most of the movies that he did. Uh, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but what, what are your guys' thoughts on Ron Howard? And, and just to give you a little background, he started his, um, well, most people may know him for being on you know, amazing TV shows like Happy Days and The Andy Griffith Show. So you know he came up as a, as a child actor, but he turned to directing in 1977 with Grand Theft Auto and did a lot of early comedies like 82, Night Shift, Splash, Cocoon, Gung Ho, all those in the 80s. But he's also done- uh, You a, forgot a real big one in the 80s, Troy. Um, Willow, 1988, which Thank you. he also did, and it was a story by George Lucas. So he's worked with George Lucas in the past. But you, you get into the 2000s, uh, or I, I would say mid-90s to 2000s, he starts putting out a lot of dramatic work like Apollo 13. Um, a Beautiful Mind uh, in 2001 is winner, best picture, and best director. Um, and even stuff like Cinderella Man, Frost Nixon, which is another nomination for best director and uh, best picture, didn't win that year. He's done the Da Vinci Code series or franchise, those three films. Um, Rush, Made in America, In the Heart of the Sea. But he, he has a very diverse filmography, I think, going from you know small comedies to blockbusters to dramatic films, Academy Award-winning films. I mean, what, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on Ron Howard? Well, I, just because I got it jumping out off my tongue here. Like, Ron Howard, I will not say, is a bad director. Um, I tend to be a fan of most of the work I've seen of his, but where we've talked in the past about, you know, you know, when you're watching a John Carpenter movie, you know, when you're watching a Spielberg movie, you know, when you're watching certain directors, I feel like Ron Howard is the kind of director that is so diverse and has such a, a wide variety of movies. It's like, it's hard to tell when you're watching a Ron Howard movie because he's kind of a all over the place kind of guy. He doesn't stick with one shtick, but that's, you know, again, that's not to say his movies are bad. I mean, the majority of what I've seen, I do enjoy um, but yeah, like I, I would have a hard time. Like if you, if I was watching rush, I wouldn't have, Oh, Oh yeah. Ron Howard directed this. Like I, that wouldn't yeah, have clicked with me. I, I agree. The, the writers are, are star Wars veterans for the most part, or at least one of them is. So the screenplay is credited to, to Lawrence Kasdan and Jonathan Kasdan. So father, son, um, Jonathan Kasdan doesn't have a huge, uh, list of, uh, products or things that he's done. He's known as an actor too. But for some of the screenplays he's done, he did a couple episodes for Freaks and Geeks, uh, Dawson's Creek. He's written for those TV shows. For film, he's done In the Land of Women in 2007, the first time in 2012, and of course, Solo Star Wars Story. Now, Lawrence Kasdan, if anybody is a Star Wars fan, they'll know Lawrence Kasdan because he did the screenplay for 1980s, The Empire Strikes Back. He did Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Um, Body Heat, he did the screenplay plus, plus director. He's done films like Continental Divide in 81, which is a John Belushi sort of romantic comedy. Um, also did Star Wars Episode Six, uh, Silverado, which I think I sent you an email, Josh, when we were talking about you know movies from the 80s. Uh, I think it's a great... 80s Western sort of tried to revitalize it a little bit. But, you know, Lawrence Kasdan has done a lot of big films. He's also done a lot of films that... I don't know if are, are so successful, like The Bodyguard in 1992, big box office hit, but I 
don't really like that film and and stuff like dream cat dream catcher in 2003 he wrote the screenplay plus also directed it and and that's kind of a piece of garbage in my opinion but again uh, extremely diverse and and comes back to do um, a couple of Star Wars films. He did Star Wars Episode Seven: Force Awakens, and then also Solo Star Wars Story. And, and of course, all these characters are based on things that were created by George Lucas. You definitely, for this film, have a artist who's putting to words uh, characters and scenarios that, I mean, it, could we all agree that Empire Strikes Back is probably either the top one or two of the films of the entire franchise? I mean, yes. Would you guys rate that one? In, in one of those two spots? Oh, Phantom Menace, Empire. <laughs> oh, my God, Troy, of course Empire is the best Star Wars movie. Come on, man. Wow. I, I don't know if it's the best. I'll, I'll say this. I, I really love the first Star Wars film, and I don't know if it's nostalgia or quality, but for me, it's always a toss-up between Empire and Star Wars. They're interchangeable, in my opinion. But, I mean, Kasdan is responsible for, you know, one of the best Star Wars films ever made, so he, he knows mm-hmm. these characters, right? The best two. Yeah. I like Return a lot. So, okay. <laughs> um, let, and, and uh, of course, John Williams does the music. We'll talk about that when, when we, you know, sort of discuss our thoughts on the film. Now, it gets interesting when we talk about the people in front of the camera. Now, I can't wait for you to say this name. I can't wait. I've been waiting all day for you to, to hear how Alden, you say this guy's name. Alden Enrich? Alden Enrich. Yes? No? Did I say it right? It's Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich? Aaron Reich. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I, we, I've had somebody uh, send a text and said that half of their pleasure of listening to the pod ta- podcast is um, me butchering everybody's last name. So, <laughs> At least you have their names. I usually come unprepared and I'm like, who is that guy that played that guy? Like, I never have any of that cast information ready. Yeah, so I don't want to talk about him as Han Solo just yet because I think that comes into play when we share the thoughts to our film. But I... I, I don't know. The first time I recognized him as, well, who is that actor? And I don't know about you guys, but it was um, 2016's Hail Caesar, uh, which was a Coen Brothers film. He's so good in that. And um, I mean, leading up to Solo, he he had done that one, Rules Don't Apply, and The Yellow Birds. I haven't seen those other two films. But man, I was a fan of Hail Caesar. Have, have you guys checked that one out? I like Hail Caesar. I mean, it's to me, it's a middle of the road Coen Brothers movie. I, I put it in like that burn after reading sort of right. middle. Oh, we love burn after I, reading. <laughs> I, I like parts of burn after reading, of course, but yeah. Yeah. And, and here's where the cast really gets interesting. You get Woody Harrelson as Beckett and obviously leading up to this film, um, he's a pretty popular actor. He, he'd done sci-fi franchises too. He was in 2017's war of the planet of the apes, um, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri in 2017 as well, which is another fantastic film shock and on 2017 and then gets pulled into solo, um, in 2018. It truly will be a planet of the apes. (laughs) One of the best lines in cinema history. There you go. Uh, Emilia Clark plays Kira. A lot of people will know her from a little TV show that was on HBO, I think for about eight years, game of Thrones. Have we seen that? Well, Most people will know her from Last Christmas, yes. Of <laughs> okay, they might know her from another franchise, 2015's Terminator Genesis. Oh. <laughs> We've got. She says the line. She says, "Come with me if you want to live." Yeah. So, in uh, leading up to that, she also did Me Before You, Voice from the Stone in 2017, and then Solo. So while Solo 
was in production or she's doing that one. She's also doing Game of Thrones. We get Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Now here's an interesting actor because um, same kind of thing like Amelia Clark. When Solo was coming out, he had a, a pretty popular TV show, critically popular too, Atlanta. Um, but you might that know- That show is fantastic, by the way. So good. I haven't caught it yet, but it's one of those everybody tells me to watch. And, and TV shows are, are obviously is something that I'm I'm like usually 10 years late to. So yeah. you know, give me a little Donald bit. Donald Glover is one of those people I am supremely jealous of. He's a comedian. He's a rapper. He's an actor. He's an entrepreneur. He like, is supremely talented. Yep. He is a talented human being. It's not fair. He like... Everything he does, it's like, oh, I'm just going to be the best at this. And you're like, okay, Man. thanks, asshole. Yep. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe him. And, and even the films leading up to that, he does The Martian in 2015, Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017, and Solo, plus he's doing Atlanta. I, I agree with you guys. If you want to talk about one of the best actors acting today or working today, Donald Glover is going to be in that list, no problem. And he does it with swagger. I mean, he even says it in one of his childish Gambino songs. Is, Why has every black actor got to rap some? I don't know. But all I know is I'm the best one. Like, he is just, <laughs> he is not afraid to flaunt it, man. I love Donald Glover. Yeah, listen to Redbone and tell me that guy doesn't, like, just knock it out of the park. Like, yep. Redbone's one of the best songs ever made. And it's... And, and, and how while, could, how could while somebody... we haven't seen Community, I understand he's great in that. Like, I'm surprised I haven't been able to get on the Community train, but... Everybody tells us how good that is, and I, I just haven't watched it yet. No, I, I agree. He's one of those guys that I think I, I love his um, ego because it also comes off as charming. And yeah. not a lot of people can pull that off, but but Donald Clever does. And and we'll talk about his performance in here because I, I think that shines through. Do you think he gets that from his father? Uh, he could. He could. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a show fault, but you know, um, whatever. <laughs> So a couple others to talk about. We've got um, Junus Sutamo. I, I don't know how you say this one. He plays Chewbacca. I believe it was the same actor that was also in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Now, this one, I, I see it in a couple of different publications as Thandie Newton, but I believe it's Thandaway Newton is yeah. how she – so she plays Val. Mm -hmm. um, I remember from Mission Impossible 2 with, with Tom Cruise. So there's our Tom Cruise link, which I will defend Mission Impossible 2. Bite me. Um, Westworld. She's in Westworld. Westworld, Westworld yeah. yep. yep. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is L337. So I think Disney was on to something here with the success of Rogue One and having Alan Tudyk um, do sort of a robot uh, voice that is sort of comic relief. They carry that over with L337. Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. Now, he's the second version of Dryden Voss. We'll talk about that when we talk about production. But everybody's going to know Paul Bettany as Vision from the Marvel franchise. John Favreau as Rio Durant. So he plays the voice for one of Beckett's uh, pilots. And then Aaron Kellyman as Enfys Nest. And she just most recently appeared in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. she's great in that too. Yeah. She's, she's a really talented actress. I, I like her. I, I do hope she gets out of doing Disney franchise Marvel stuff and, and kind yeah. of stretches her acting chops, but everything that I've seen her in, I really like. So let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about the production. So solo has a very troubled production and guys jump in, but before we get into the, to the good stuff, right? The, the dirt, the Han Solo story had been floating around a little bit, actually going back to, um, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So they attempted to insert Han Solo as a cameo, and we're going to present him as a kid within 
that production, but it actually never made it into sort of the, the final um, script. Or I think it was in some earlier drafts, but it really never made it to the storyboards or, or got filmed, right? So it got dropped. Um, they, and, and he was, I think, going to appear as um, a kid in the Battle of uh, Kashyyyk, um, which is where Revenge of the Sith spent some time. So Lucas says, okay, well, let's do a live action TV series. And they were in development of it. And I think they were just doing screenplays and it was going to be called Star Wars Underworld. But something happens. And so around 2012, Lucas says, well, hey, let's start doing a film. And he hires Lawrence Kasdan to write a screenplay, developing um, sort of the character of Young Solo into a feature film. But in 2012, Lucas sells his company to Disney. So they bought it for a ton of money, okay? Billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, Disney and and Lucas comes around, um, or Lucas Films says, um, okay, we actually want to use Kasdan to write the screenplay to Star Wars The Force Awakens. So Lawrence Kasdan taps his son and says, okay, you're in charge of writing the solo screenplay, and he's going to help him on it, but that's how his son gets into it, right? And in July of 2013, Disney announces Han Solo, the film, will be released on May 25th in 2018, okay? So they've got five years of production, <laughs> um, pre-production filming, po- post-production, Surely nothing can go wrong in those five years, Sean. Nothing go wrong. And at the time that they announced it in July 2013, you know, Disney comes out, uh, LucasArts says the project's going to be directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller from a script by Lawrence and Jonathan Kasdan. So it's formally announced at that point. Now, people may know Phil um, and Chris from movies like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which came out in 2009. Fantastic movie. Yep. It's a great film. 21 Jump Street in 2012. The Lego movie, 2014, 22 Jump Street in 2014. So those are the films that they directed leading up to Solo, A Star Wars Story in 2018. Um, side note, they haven't directed anything since, right? And if you if you know anything about those films, uh, let's talk about the animated um, portion. So Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs in the Lego movie. They are very, very good animated films, and they're very, very funny. And same thing with 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street. They're, they've got some action to them, but they're fantastic comedies. I think you guys would agree. The Jump Street yeah. movies were way better than they had any right yeah, to be. Yeah, they did not have hilarious. any right to be that good. And they are – even the sequel is like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're lucky we got one 21 Jump Street that was good. Like, we're not getting another one. And you watch the second one, you're like, okay, actually – you did it again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually think that's pretty good. Uh, I, if, if you're talking about trying to bring some directors that might offer a different vision than what we're used to, that's a pretty good choice. Vision. Yeah. I see what you did there. So yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing that gets announced is Kathleen Kennedy would serve as producer. So I want to pause here real quick. And this is where I went down a rabbit hole. I like hole. how Josh took a, he like stretched out for a yeah. second. He was like, okay, here we go. I, I want to talk about Kathleen Kennedy real quick. I, I'm curious. What, what is everybody's thoughts on Kathleen Kennedy? I'm going to, I'm going to start. I want to start with you, Brad. I don't have any. It's fine. I don't really have a strong opinion. Like you have no opinion. I mean, I do, but it's like, it's, it's not it's a, a strong and opinion. Everybody knows who, what, who yeah. Kathleen Kennedy is, right? Everybody seems to treat her like the emperor, but I think, I mean, I have no reason to think she's doing a terrible job. No, no, it's I mean, fine. Like it's the thing. <sighs> she's a woman. 
that's the problem. She's a woman. I don't want no women in my yeah. Star Wars. That's yeah. what everybody's bitching gripe is right now. Yeah, Star now. Wars has never it's had any Rey, female The first characters. problem was, was Rey, you know. Yeah. We didn't get to see her train, so how do we know she's a real Jedi? We didn't see her train. I don't know. How, how is she that good? We didn't see her train. <laughs> we saw her train about as much as we saw Luke train. I mean, yeah. what's the problem? Uh, okay, yeah. so to level set, Kathleen Kennedy <laughs> is the president of Lucasfilms. Okay, so she's sitting at the head. And if you think about it, Lucasfilms is owned by Disney. So Lucasfilm is sort of a subsidiary of the Disney Corp. Kathleen Kenny Kennedy oversees everything Lucasfilms, right? And if you know anything about Star Wars fans. Hey, do you know how much uh, the films that Kathleen Kennedy has helped uh, participate in have made? Overall? Yes. Like in her career? Yes. I, I know um, 120 Academy Award nominations and 25 wins, but I don't have the box office. What, what's the box office? 200 well, billion. It's like, well, I'm just saying like the ones that uh, she's like, there's like 60 that she's like participated in that they have kind of carved out. Mm -hmm. It's $11 billion. So that's all you really need to know. $11 billion. Okay. So shut your pie holes. Yeah. Well, boys. Yeah. Let's, let's run through this real quick. And, and here's what I thought was kind of interesting. So I hear this from a lot of uh, friends about their distaste for Kathleen Kennedy. And so I went to Google and I typed in, why does the internet hate Kathleen Kennedy? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So that's what I type in. So the first thing that comes up is a Reddit post. And of course I click oh. on it. Right. And it's this, it's this Kathleen Kennedy thing. So the Google response in the Reddit post on why um, the internet hates Kathleen Kennedy. This is what I got because Kathleen Kennedy is a bitch who has no idea how to handle star Wars. The sequel trilogy is garbage and shits all over the original trilogy. That's, that's what Google said about why the internet hates that's Kathleen also Kennedy. what they said about the person who birthed star Wars with the prequel <laughs> trilogies. So get I, I over yourself. I wrote that note too. So, <laughs> and, and some more facts about Kathleen Kennedy. So executive producer, uh, is primarily her role on films. And like I said, 120 Academy award nominations, 25 wins here. Here's some of the films that she's worked on just outside of the, the star Wars franchise, the gremlins franchise, Back to the Future franchise, um, Josh, your favorite, the the Jurassic Park franchise. She had her hand in that. The Indiana Jones franchise, uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Congo, a personal favorite of mine. She, she was a producer on there. Uh, the Color Purple, um, Cape Fear, the remake uh, with Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, The Sixth Sense, Munich. So she's a huge collaborator with Steven Spielberg over her career. Now, here's the other interesting thing. And I, and I said Disney paid a lot of money for the Star Wars franchise from Lucas. So does anybody know how much they actually paid to buy um, Star Wars from Lucas? It's like $3 billion. Close. That right? That's good, Jane. It was, it was four billion. So they, okay. in 2012, they paid four billion dollars to to get Star Wars over. Okay, so wrote a check to Lucas on that. Disney turned it into a huge profit under Kathleen Kennedy and recouped its entire investment in six years. Yeah. So within six years, so from 2012 to 2018, got all their money back, and they're still printing money with Kathleen Kennedy as president of Lucasfilm. <clears throat> Wasn't she like one of the spearheads for like the the Star Wars place at Disney? Like all of it, anything yeah. Star. So keep this in mind. And and here's the thing: I get it. And and again, I don't I don't mean to. Do you though? Do you really get I, it? I, I do. I, I don't want to okay. lambast anybody for their passion. I mean, I I think the people who are writing this stuff about Kathleen Kennedy on the internet are dumb, and absolutely just need to do something else with their life, right? 
But here's the thing. I, I understand why people get so upset about Star Wars and they're looking for people like Kathleen Kennedy. I totally understand it. And it, I think it comes from the fact that the the material that they're putting out now, and even when Lucas was doing it with their prequels, it was never going to be as good as the material that we were making with our action figures in our basement. And if, if you think about it, the, the stories and everything that we were creating with our action figures, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, if they ever filmed what I was doing with my action figure, I had a whole crossover between Star Wars and G.I. Joe that was freaking epic. It would have made the greatest movie well, of all Luke time. Well, your Luke Skywalker had a screw in his head. We would, you I, had exactly. A whole I had a Jewish Luke Skywalker, but I had like Shipwreck and Cobra Commander and IG-88 and uh, Snake Eyes teaming up as Bounty Hunter. I mean, if they made that... That film, it would have been the most incredible film ever. And there is nothing, there is not one piece of film that is ever going to even come close to the stories that I was creating with um, all of my Star Wars and G.I. Joe play sets. I get it. So I understand why people would always be disappointed because it's never going to live up to it. So the studio is never well, going to. Gonna... You know, the interesting fact about Kathleen Kennedy is, right? What's that? She's not going to come to your house and take your old movies so you can never watch them again. Right. You'll well, always yeah, have them. But if you think about it, where art and commerce kind of come together, I actually think Kathleen Kennedy is one of the best things to ever happen to Star Wars. And here's why. You may not like some of the films, but everything that you like about Star Wars from 2012 to now, including The Mandalorian, is because of Kathleen Kennedy. Does she make the right choices 100% of the time? No. Has she made choices that have brought new viewers to this world and expanded the universe and given us way more Star Wars than George Lucas ever did? Absolutely 100%. And that is all due to Kathleen Kennedy. And I will say, and probably the internet's breaking right now with me saying these comments, but if, if, if you were to say, is there somebody out there that you, you would want to work for from a business perspective and actually spend a couple of years and learn from, I would just kill for the chance to work for Kathleen Kennedy and learn how she handles all of that pressure with such a high profile franchise and really does this balancing act of here you're just rabid Star Wars fans and trying to accommodate them while handling these billion dollar budgets and at the same time trying to work with Disney and bring all these new viewers into it. I, I have absolutely, I can't wrap my head around why the internet gives her such a hard time. I think she is one of the classiest, smartest uh, business well, women out there. <clears throat> there's nothing to wrap your head around. It's because people don't want their Star Wars messed with. It could have been any other person other than Kathleen Kennedy. Galen Hurd, who's a major producer, yeah. who's worked on movies from the 80s, The Walking Dead, all of that stuff. Like she's she's kind of in that same sort of playing field. She's worked on so many big budget movies and she she could have been the same person that Kathleen Kennedy is and people still would have had a problem. It's just because people want to bitch about things nowadays. Oh, it I, doesn't I matter it. how good something is or how bad it is. They're going to complain about it regardless. And Star Wars fanboys in particular want to shit on a woman. I mean, <laughs> it's sexism, plain and simple. 
honestly. I, I, I get that. I'll, I'll say this. I, I try not to, I, I always look at people with good intent. And so I'm always trying to assume that people <laughs> aren't nice. racist and nice. people aren't sexist, et cetera. But I, I'm kind of with you, Jenny, when I see that and having a daughter who is graduating high school and going out there, when I read these comments and I see what this woman, she's just accomplished so much. Mm-hmm. And she is climbing this uphill battle that I think is harder um, simply because she's a female. And, and and it's right there, plain and simple. If you were to actually look at everything that she's done in her industry, it's almost unmatched. It really is. I mean, she's in the top tier. But you're, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, I think that sexism does come out a little bit. But again, I'm going to be the person that says, hey, look, people are just upset because the stories and the content aren't really even close to what they were imagining, drawing or creating with their action figures and everything else. I, I, that's my philosophy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point. And, and when bringing up all the things she's been attached to over these past decades, like back to the future, Indiana Jones, and it, it, this kind of also just goes to show how, how much people don't have a whole lot of knowledge either. Like the people that are complaining about Kathleen Kennedy have probably have no idea that she's been a part of all of that stuff. They're just, she's messing with my Star Wars. Like, it's very, very ignorant. And and I, I can guarantee you most people don't know what she's done in her career. They're just unhappy with what she's done with Star Wars. Yeah. If you like Rogue One, you like Kathleen Kennedy. If you like The Mandalorian, you like Kathleen Kennedy. If you're excited you got a seventh season of The Clone Wars, go thank Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, she made all that stuff happen. Now, it, it's not solely yeah, her. If you watch The Bad Batch, hey, Thank Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, you know, I mean, all this stuff. She she led the charge for it. So let's get let's get back to Solo. I just wanted to go through that rabbit hole because I found it so interesting. I spent a day just looking at comments with Kathleen Kennedy. And like you said, Jenny, I, I was kind of feeling bad because I'm like, holy cow, my daughter's getting ready to go out in this environment. And this is what she has to go to. But when I take a step back and think about it, I understand the passion. And and I think the passion is, um, and you're right, Josh, it could be a, anybody, male or female, in that position they're going to get that much hate. Now, I think the hate's a little bit stronger because she's a female, but again, mm-hmm. I, I really think it comes from the, you know, hey, they didn't do that G.I. Joe Star Wars crossover, I was really hoping, <laughs> and because of that, I'm just mad. But uh, so There's probably a Venn diagram of people who have yelled, lock her up, and have posted something mean about Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Okay, so 2013, they announce uh, that they're working on this thing. 2016 is when they start to kind of get the big casting. And that's when uh, Alden comes on as solo. Uh, now, Miller, who at the time was, you know, doing the casting and, and as director, says they saw over 3,000 people for the part. And some of the names that come to the top were um, Taryn Egerton, Rami Malik, which surprised me, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. So those were also considered. Wasn't Ansel and... Ansel Egort. Wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, like an early yes. contender. Yeah. Yeah, Miles Teller contender. was one of them too. Yeah, there's a lot of names. And and I mean, they basically were trying to find somebody that would, you know, talk about a role to fill. I mean, Harrison Ford mm-hmm. just made that one of his most iconic roles. And <clears throat> I mean, it's it Han Solo. I mean, talk about a culture icon trying to cast for that thing. Good luck, right? Um so filming, I mean, they could have cast Daniel Day Lewis, and people still would have had a fit about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah, 
who they I were. Think, I think I would have had a fit about Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I would judge on this one. So filming starts on January 30th of 2017 with our two original directors, the cast, everything else. So June 20th, Kathleen Kennedy with the backing of studio chief Alan Horn ends up letting uh, Lord and Miller go. So she has to fire them. Talk about a, a rough decision. So, you know, they're about four to five months, well, about six months into filming. And she comes in June and says, it's not working, right? So here's, if you read a lot of articles, this is what it comes down to. And this makes total sense if you actually look at Lord and Miller's previous projects, like the Lego movie, especially 22 Jump Street or 21 Jump Street. But Lord and Miller were relying heavily on improvisation during the shooting. And they strayed from the script big time. So Lawrence um, Kasdan's script and, and his son. And, and here's a good example of what was going on that they were seeing in the dailies where Kathleen Kennedy and um, Lawrence Kasdan were looking at it and saying, hey, I, I, we got a problem here. So if, if you're on a big studio film that's a $250 million budget, you've, you've got to get as many shots as possible and as much coverage because you got to figure some stuff out in the editing room, right? So typically you might do 12 to 15 camera placements and getting different angles of scenes because you need that in order to edit correctly based on what you're putting together. Um, so Miller and Lord would only shoot about three different camera angles. They would do different scenes and improvise. They, they might shoot what was on you know paper, but then go back and, and do what they want to do. And that makes it very difficult because if you get stuck in the editing room and you don't have the right angles or the right shots, you have to go back and do reshoots and it gets super expensive. So you have the producers looking at this and going, well, hold on a second. We're looking at your dailies and you only have these three camera setups. We know that's going to be extremely difficult if you get into editing and find out that your improvisation is taking you a different direction and you don't have the shots to cover where you go. Right. So big red flag and, and really came down to just a different work style. And, and here's another kind of classic story. Lord and Miller are sitting in the cockpack, uh, cockpit, um, cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, so the big set, right? And they're, they're just sitting there all morning kind of going through what are they going to shoot, um, how are they going to work it out, and they do that till 1 p.m. So that means you have an entire huge production crew that is just waiting around um, from the morning to about 1 p.m., not doing anything, and then they finally decide to shoot. Um, because their two directors are just figuring things out. Kennedy and Kasdan are hearing about these stories. They're looking at the dailies, and they're just not pleased with the work. And Kasdan really felt that the tone of the film was just going an entirely different direction. Now, they brought Lord and Miller in to kind of add some comedic elements to it. But the film was really becoming something different than what the script was. And you got to keep in mind, these Star Wars stories, these franchises – you really got to stick to that script because the next film or the next TV show they're doing, it, it's going to play into it, right? There, there's a whole narrative that goes outside of the film. Yeah, I think you're being a little bit kind too. Some of the articles I've read is just like the cast and crew were like, these guys don't know what they're doing. Yes. I, I, I read some of that. And, and I think at the end of the day, the cast and crew are standing around. They're watching two guys who are trying to figure it out. They're doing some improvisation. And for a $250 million budget, that just didn't set well with a lot of people. And a lot of people were frustrated because there, there really was a lack of direction on the set. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, just deep philosophical fundamentals um, and differences in, in how you film. And you had two guys on set that 
you know, <laughs> they're, they're not meeting everybody's expectation, both the people in front of the camera, behind the camera, also the producers. So it was said that they left over creative differences. Kathleen Kennedy says, you know, well, we had to let them go. Um, and she even says, it, you know, they tried to work it out, but, you know, Miller and Lord wanted to go in a very specific direction. Studio wasn't going to let that happen. So it, it truly was creative differences. Within a short amount of time, they hire Ron Howard to complete the film. In the end, Ron Howard shoots about 70% of the film and added four months to the shooting schedule to get everything correct. And as a result of this, um, you know, like you said, Brad, the, the crew that were working on the film and the cast, they actually were super happy that Ron Howard. Yeah, they were happy. The, the, the mood around set definitely changed because Ron Howard knew what he was doing. He got things done quickly and efficiently. Um, so, yeah, I, from everything I read, the crew definitely preferred Ron Howard than to Lord Miller. Yeah, and the studio felt more comfortable because they they didn't see the budget ballooning anymore um, because of you know possibility of reshoots, et cetera. And the you know there were some casualties. So Michael K. Williams was originally supposed to play Dryden Voss, and they shot a lot of his stuff. Um, and I think there was some uh, I, I don't know if he was playing a computer generated character or something of that nature or motion capture. But what it ended up happening is he couldn't return for production for any reshoots. And given the tight schedule with Ron Howard stepping in, that's where Paul Bettany came in. Because Paul Bettany and Ron Howard have, have worked together in the past. And then post-production finished on April 27th, or 22nd in 2018. So very, very bumpy road. And as you know, we talk about um, in all of the films that we brought up on uh, this podcast, anytime you see this happening behind the scenes, anymore this pretty much i don't want to say it guarantees it's going to be a bomb but you know the way the internet works and hollywood trades and everything else they pick up on this stuff and you know when people read it uh, i think they sense or you know automatically assume that hey this is probably going to be a terrible film and you don't see a lot of people going to it because of what they're hearing or seeing about it but well i mean it's a rarity that directors are fired yes. or let go from films. And of course, you know, we live in an era where that stuff trends on Twitter and it's a big deal and it's all over the place. And it's like, uh Oh, you know, red flags everywhere. Um, so the, the reason that this film bombs is, I mean, it, there's not just one, there's like five or six. Yeah. And rogue one had some trouble, um, <laughs> you know, towards the editing process where they sort of lock the director out and say, Hey, we, we need to work this thing over. But that's the story of, of Solo kind of coming up to the release of it. You have The Last Jedi that comes out six months before. A big, big portion of the Star Wars uh, fans just absolutely hate that film. You have all of these reports coming out of the original directors being fired, Ron Howard having to step in. There's you know trouble in paradise uh, behind the cameras. And obviously it's going up against some heavy hitters, especially the Marvel franchise when it's coming out. And again, keep in mind, um, the internet isn't very kind to star Wars leading up to this film because of the last Jedi, uh, and your average moviegoers, you know, it's only going to see five movies that year and, and it's got to make some tough choices, you know, leading into April, May, and June. Well, um, I know we want to get into talking about the movie a little bit, and maybe we can talk a little more about this when we when we do our breakdown at the end. But I think Brad just brought up a good point. There were a lot of factors into why this movie is a bomb, and we can talk more about those later. But I, I definitely have some opinions about that. 
No, you're absolutely right. It, this is this is fascinating because you can spend a lot of time trying to dissect it and trying to figure out was it marketing, was it the release schedule, uh, was it you know you you heard about Star Wars fatigue, so they were really trying to crank these films out at a at a pretty good pace, and you know let's face it, we the reason why we got Episode Nine was because of the Last Jedi in terms of the fan backlash over those story elements and the poor you know, box office reception of solo star Wars story that totally changed what Lucas was, uh, Lucas films was going to do. And so they put all of their film projects on ice. They had a Boba mm-hmm. Fett film they were going to do. James Mangold, I think was attached to that. And they, they killed yep. all that stuff. Yep. Um, and they said, okay, we'll concentrate on, you know, the TV shows coming out, but they weren't going to do the investment because they felt that fans were having star Wars fatigue. Whereas Marvel yeah. was, you know, you know, putting stuff out the door, two, three films a year. So which yeah, and which we already said does way better internationally. Yes, yeah. Star Wars is is not an international uh, hit, especially in a country like China. I mean, it, its success is is really dependent on you know the the North American countries. So with that, let let's get into the thoughts of the film, and I'm, I want to start with you, Jenny. So we are so excited to ladies to have first, you. yeah, and I'm really curious because I I know you're a big Star Wars fan, but. What's your, you got to sit down, you got to watch Solo again. What's your initial impressions this time of watching it? I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know how people don't love this movie. Um, and my reasons that it turned out to be a bomb have nothing to do with the actual content of the movie. It's a Star Wars heist. Like, how could you not be entertained by this? Um, I think that the casting is very good. Um, you know, I can't remember his name. (laughs) Han does not look like Harrison Ford. Um, but he has his mannerisms down to a T. Yeah. Um, and Donald Glover as Lando is just perfection. Perfection. (laughs) That's a chef's kiss right there. Yeah. It it truly is. He's so charismatic, um, really helps make it his own while also like giving a nod to the Billy D Williams performance. I mean, just, I was captivated every single moment watching this movie. Every time I watch it, uh, we went to the theater twice to see it. Yep. I'm pretty sure we would have gone a third time had it not been like such a crazy packed. Um, we were going to go see it a third time, I think, but it was out of the theater. Yeah. Because some other movies were taking up all the theater <laughs> space. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love this movie. I have loved it every time I've watched it. And it's not getting old for me anytime soon, I don't think. No, that's awesome. All right, Josh, what, what, did did this uh, did this love transfer over to your viewing as well? Yeah, I mean, I can. When they started talking about how they were going to start bringing Star Wars back, and Disney had purchased Star Wars, and again, we've we've already mentioned it a couple of times. I'm just happy to be in the Star Wars universe. So I'm going to take anything you throw at me, and some of it may be good, some of it may be bad. But Han and Chewie have been a part of my life since I was a child, and if you're going to give me a movie. A, where you're going to give me Han Solo becoming Han, the Han Solo I know, him meeting Chewbacca, him potentially getting to where he is a, 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 a um, what would you call him? A, a, smuggler. a smuggler. A nerfer. Um, 
Yeah, a nerf herder. <laughs> um, you give me all of these things, I'm going to be entertained by it. Um, you would really have to give me like the worst script in the world to make me really kind of shit on it. And this may not be the best script I've ever seen or, or any, it's not the best star Wars movie I've ever seen, but I love watching it. I love being there. I love the, the fun that's in it. Uh, the casting was, was spot on for me. I, I would, I always have reservations when they cast for like prequels and things of that nature, when you're having to kind of replace the actor that you grew up loving. Um, so yeah, naturally I thought, you know, this guy's not going to be anything like Harrison Ford. Um, I thought Ansel and Ansel Eggort. Ansel Eggort. I can't Baby say driver. his name. Baby driver guy. I thought he had kind of very similar features of Harrison Ford. Yeah, I was he, like, he would match. And if we were, if we were talking yeah. about a lookalike, yeah. that would be your closest for me. But I think um, who's, what's his name? The guy who plays solo in this. Oh, oh. Uh, sorry. <laughs> do it. Short, do it. Uh, Alden. <laughs> Aaron Reich. I'm just gonna say Alden. Alden, yeah. <laughs> Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. I, I had not. I had not seen Hell Caesar at this point. I don't think I yeah, had I seen think him. We in, saw it after. Yeah. So I had not seen him in anything. I didn't really know what his acting chops were. And like Jenny touched on, I don't think he looks like Harrison Ford, but I think he has Harrison Ford's mannerisms down pat. And I, it's just the little things he does that make me think he's going for the Han Solo here. He may not look like Han Solo, but he's given me Han Solo. Mm -hmm. So I thought all of that worked really well. We walked out of the theater very happy, um, notably because they brought back a character that everyone loved and nobody wanted to talk about that shit after this movie was out. They just wanted to crap on it. Um, but you're going to give me all of this that I want, plus give me Darth Maul back into the universe. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy, dude. Like, you can't <laughs> disappoint me in that way. So, yeah, I, I would say I loved this movie when we saw it, and I still love it. I, I, don't, I don't really have any problems with it. All right, Brad, how, how did your rewatch go? Yeah, so I, I think I compare this to, like, um, my favorite MCU movie is The Winter Soldier because they're taking, like, a property – that you know. So they're taking Captain America and they're putting it into a different genre of film. They're doing like the political conspiracy thriller sort of movie. This is Star Wars, the space Western. Yeah. And I think that's like a good thing to do. Like give me Star Wars, but give me it in a different light. Like show me something different. I've seen Jedi's I've seen other stuff, like give me something else. And I think that's what this scratches for me is that, different sort of genre that they're saying, okay, you know, you love these characters and this mythos, but let's move it over here and see if it works. And like Jenny was talking about that high scene with like the train and stuff is one of the best sequences in star Wars period, period. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's got a little bit of problems towards the end with the, the cross and the double crossing and all that stuff. You can nitpick at that stuff, but it's a fun movie. Um, casting wise, I think, you know, you were never going to satisfy people with the Han Solo stuff. Like you were never, it was never going to feel right. It was never going to please everybody. Um, well, I say that, but I feel like Donald Glover is kind of like universally praised for his, um, minus like the pansexual stuff. People have a problem with that. It's like, really, that's what you're held up on. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, this is, 
not my favorite Star Wars movie, but because it's different and I feel like it definitely has its own style, I like to go back to this one quite a bit. I've probably seen this thing six or seven times now, and you know, it, it's fun. And, uh, you know, it kind of condenses like the Harrison Ford sort of like um, who he becomes, you know, after he like leaves the Imperial stuff, it seems like two weeks kind of makes him who he is. But, you know, it's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really love this movie. I want to get to like at the end. Let's not forget to talk about this compared to Rogue One. So, OK, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree with you guys. I saw it, I think, the opening day three times i went back the next day twice i i I fell in love with this thing seen it so many times i can't i I can't even count how many times i saw it in the theater and then as soon as it came out on home media i've watched it tons of times but of, of all the films that have come out since the original trilogy this feels like it captures the essence of the first three films it's it's a lot of fun has great visuals it's super charming and i think that's what a lot of people forget about the original trilogy there's this underlining charm with all the characters and the relationships and everything and i think this really captures that it feels right at home with the original films and like you said brad it is a fantastic space western it captures all the great western cliches from the train robbery to saloons to gambling to gunfighter duels I, I love that aspect of it. Ron Howard really did a great job of taking the Star Wars mythos and, and putting it just square within a Western, and and it works. Um, and it plays well with the Star Wars tropes. At the end of the day, they were trying to deliver an origin story. And this is one of the first topics I want to kind of get to and discuss where, you know, do the elements of the origin story work within Solo? Because if... If I have one thing that you could get nitpicky about, it's, okay, we're going to try and explain some of the Han Solo legend. So let's go through the list of things, right? And I will say this, about 90% of the time, I'm in it. I really like the nods that they go back to it, but there are a couple of things that I'm like, okay, I don't I don't know if that actually works. So I'm going to go through the, the good stuff and see what you guys think of it. Um, what do you guys think about the gold dice? Um, and how it's used um, within this film because it's it's one of those things that's in the background of the original trilogy. It comes up in the foreground more in the newer films, and then it's front and center in this one. Do you, do you think it's a nice callback? Does it is is it good to concentrate on that as much as they did? To be honest, I don't. That wasn't a fond memory of anything concerning Han in the original Star Wars for me. So when they started introducing that element in the sequel trilogy. And then within this, like it didn't really have any weight for me. Cause I mean, that was such a, not even a secondary thing. Like I was like, what the hell is that all about? Like I, the dice were never on my radar and it wasn't really anything that I needed to see. So the fact that it's there doesn't bother me, but if, if it was gone, it wouldn't bother me either. Like, you know, okay. yeah, someone had to point out the dice to me, like, not in this movie, but like, oh, it's actually there in the other films. You just have to look for it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's not one of those things I ever had like this fond memory of. Well, I, I think it's a good example of what Star Wars can do. It can take this little item that is in the background, this character, this this prop, whatever it is, and use it as a centerpiece of a story. And I, I like what the gold dice represents now after you see this film. 
And so if yeah. that pops up in the other films, you go, oh, that is a connection between him and I guess really the, the first girl that Han Solo kind of falls in love with and then ends up, I, I don't I don't know, kind of being betrayed by and, and yeah. sort of level sets and, and really explains where he comes from as a place of a character. And that's where I think this movie really succeeds is taking those little elements of the Han Solo mythos and sort of bringing it to the forefront and giving a prop like that a little bit of history. And, and I think it works. Another thing is... Mm-hmm. I like where Han gets his sort of iconic blaster. The fact that Beckett ends up just giving it to him as something from him. And the reason why I like it is it makes total sense. And and we'll talk about this character a little bit more later, but Beckett is to me what Han Solo would eventually or could eventually turn into without certain events or certain people coming into his life. I think, I think Beckett, I mean, Han is what he thinks Han thinks he wants to turn into Beckett. He is trying, Beckett is his mentor. But through the course of the film, you see that Han Solo is going to be a different person. But I like the fact that his his blaster comes from Beckett mm-hmm. and that kind of sets up their relationship. I love that um, you get Chewbacca playing uh, Dejaric, I think is what it's called, the 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 hollow chest with the creatures. Yeah. I love that yeah, entire sequence. Let the Wookiee win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like that Beckett is wearing Lando's disguise from Return of the Jedi when they go to the mining mm-hmm. colony. The, I, those that little one callbacks. was pretty funny. Yeah. I, I did like that one. I, I love Chewbacca ripping off the arms of a guard in the <laughs> elevator because they talk about yes. it in the films and you actually kind of see it. Yeah. I, I, I Even though it's cheesy, I like the inversion of um, I have a bad feeling about this. And he kind of says, oh, I have a good feeling about this when they're about ready to go into the asteroids. I'm glad you brought that one up because that seems to be a gripe a lot of people have is that the Han in this movie is not the Han we know. Well, that's the freaking point. People. <laughs> like we're supposed to see this, this hero's journey and see how he evolved from a very positive person to turning into negative. Like we, it's supposed to be a story that unfolds. And that was something that blew me away about people's complaints with this movie is that's not the Han Solo. I know. Well, yeah, that's the point. Like, yeah, are you the same person that you yeah, were? Get over like yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was the thing that stuck with me. And and I was like, there, people are just complaining to complain because I think this if makes you're, no I sense. Think if, I think if you're mad at that line, you're reaching, you're definitely reaching for something like, well, but it's, again, I think it goes back to that Beckett character. I think Beckett started out exactly like Han Solo in terms Mm -hmm. of his optimism and, and how he saw the world. And again, if Han hadn't gone on his journey, run into Luke Skywalker and and the rebellion, all that other stuff, he would turn into Beckett. And I think that's the whole point of it. So I'm with you, Josh. I like it's an inversion of that classic line and and it's a starting place for him. I I love the fact that you get hand shooting first in the duel. Mm -hmm. I I think um, I, I never saw that as like a big middle finger to George Lucas. I just thought, hey, he's learning from Beckett and um, well, I just looked at it as okay, you people that are bitching on the internet. Yes, Han shot first. We're going to show you right now. Quit <laughs> complaining and quit arguing about it. Han shot first. Well, well and then, but Beckett I, tells him like, "Hey, good thing you shot me first because I was going to kill you." Yeah, yeah. No, but it it I think they do a great job of bringing that up because why the internet or Star Wars fans get upset about Lucas sort of tweaking the original was Han shooting first or second. It it does play into what type of character is Han Solo. So I love the fact that they bring that up. And I I love the card game and, you know, losing, but then eventually winning the Falcon. That's part of the Han Solo mythos. 
and they bring it into this film. I think they handle it well. There's only two things of that, I guess, attempt where I'm like, ooh, was, wasn't a big fan of that, and it's how Han got his last name. Yeah, boo. I, boo. I was like, yeah, that was a little just sort yeah. of, eh. That's a little cringeworthy. And the the Kessel Run, I actually like the concept of the Kessel Run, but I I didn't I don't and this is so weird I can't understand why I didn't like it, it was the fact it was the Kessel Run in twelve par six I know you tried to explain this to me Brad and I don't get it because it's math but it's like I, I still don't understand the par six thing yeah. like I like I understand what it's supposed to mean but I still don't grasp it like. I understand it's a measurement of time, and then in this, it's our, it's supposed to be a measure, measurement of distance, but in this, it's a measurement of time. It's like, but the fact that I don't get it doesn't matter. I don't care. I still love watching it. Yeah. <laughs> no, like I think visually that that part is like the best part of the movie. Yeah. With the big thing and the gravity pool and all that stuff. Yeah, and I, I get it. There, there's a complaint about the film where it's, hey, we don't we don't have to know the origin of everything, and and I get that. But I will say this. I think they really did a good job. And again, 90% of the time of this stuff that they tried to explain, hey, this is where this came from because it's an origin story. They, they handled it really well and, well. and it works pretty good within the script and the story. You know, and Brad brought up Rogue One. I'm going to do this briefly. But what everybody bitched about with Rogue One is how do, why, why do I care about these people? I don't have enough story. Okay, so we're going to give you background on Harrison or on Han Solo. I don't need to know his backstory. <laughs> what do you want, people? Like, you can't have both things. Well, you know? I, I know what I want. I want Cobra Commander and Han Solo teaming up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not happening. So um, With Luke Skywalker with a screw in his head. We know, Troy. Yes, yeah. Know. So uh, you, you talked about this, the Kessel Run. Can we just sort of gush on the visuals of this thing? So I've, I've said this before. I know about you guys. Like, one of my favorite things to get that is Star Wars related is the art of um, the film, right? So they have a book out there, The Art of Solo Star Wars Story. I, I love these books because it goes back and shows you sort of the pre-production paintings or sketches and the visual designs. But I got to tell you, Solo is a freaking gorgeous film, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All, all the mm-hmm. way from the start when you see the destroyer shipyards on Karelia, Yep. That what an amazing background and this you know what's going on within well, the setting. Talking about the Kessel Run, that shot when they're leaving the mining colony and they see that star destroyer in oh, the man. shadowy distance. Oh my gosh, yeah, that so shot is amazing. Yeah, and it is so like dark and and just like looming. Like that is one of the best shots I've ever seen. Can, in can a Star I, can Wars I movie. admit something to you guys? I know this is a safe space. I got goosebumps when that happened the first time I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I got goosebumps a lot during this film. Like yeah. the, an, another sequence that I really liked on Vandor one, which is the, the train hijacking sequence. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the space action here in a minute, but visually when you get the mountaintops with the snow and you get um, Dryden Voss's yacht coming in the background. It looked mm-hmm. like they filmed a space yacht going through the mountains. It looked yeah. so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, and the coaxium explosion is just gorgeous to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The visuals on this thing kind of blow my mind. The, the, the um, oh, I don't know, the, the gravity well on the Kessel Run. Out of the art of um, Solo Star Wars, the paintings and everything they did for that sequence, you can kind of flip through it. And I, I posted one of the pictures on our uh, social media accounts. 
it, it's a gorgeous painting and what they were trying to design was sort of this Cthulhu like monster by the gravity well and the millennium Falcon, man, I can watch that sequence over and over again. Cause I, I just think it's thrilling and it, it gives, it gives me goosebumps watching just all the visual styles come together. Um, and the creature designs uh, are fantastic. My favorite thing about star Wars is take empire strikes back when the bounty hunters are introduced you get boss IG 88 um, forlom all you know all of them standing in the background and the coolest thing about star wars sometimes was collecting the action figures for the stuff that was on screen for two seconds or whatever because they're so visually interesting yep. but but those creature designs at the poker table are so fun to mm-hmm. look at and how he interacts mm-hmm. with them like when he's playing poker and he tells you know the one of them you know eyes on your cards buddy all of them so yeah. <laughs> i mean this this film is. Did, did you guys have a favorite like visual sequence or or creature that was lurking in the background for the film? I mean, for me, it's got to be that kraken sort of thing next to the black hole. Like, and I know, I know Josh is a big 4K guy, but seeing that in 4K, like, oh, just it's so good. And you know, like the Star Wars, like it seems like recently all of them have like picked a color. You know, like so obviously. The last Jedi was red. Like this yeah. one was orange. So like all the orange kind of like pops out in the, you know, that just orange, like sun glow of that part is, is really kind of dramatic. I like it. I, I don't, I don't know if I really have a, a favorite sequence per se in this movie. Like I'm really enjoying a lot of it as it's going on. I have problems with certain things, but I'm more or less enjoying his interactions with each, each of the characters. Um, when he meets when he meets Lando for the first time and the whole exchange between them, I'm just engulfed by how they're playing off one another and how how good Dan, uh, Donald Glover is at at portraying the character and then how it leads to the Millennium Falcon and you, you see the the Millennium Falcon for the first time and how it even takes uh, has a metamorphosis in this movie like. Mm-hmm. I and like the escape pod, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if I would say there was one thing I was concerned about going into this movie with all of the promotional stuff they were doing was that revamp of the Falcon. And I was like, what, what is this atrocity? <laughs> but to see what they did with it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I'm fine with that. You know, I don't know if I really have a favorite creature. I love Rio. I think Rio's a great character. And I think John Favreau's great as him. I, I just, I will tell you what I love the most about Star Wars and it's their ability to make me love an inanimate object. Yes. Um, <laughs> droid human relations. Droid human relations. R2-D2 is my favorite character of all time. Wow. Um, okay. He, he is He is basically a rolling trash can with the biggest personality I've ever seen. And he does not utter a single word in the movie, but I love him. Um, he's a hero. He's a smart ass. He he's, he's saving the day. He's a hero, like, but he's a robot. And like, that's, that's the things that I love that Lucas has done with this, this property as he's taken things that aren't human and humanized them. Um, I love R2. I love K2SO. I think K2SO is amazing. And while we're on this ride, L3, I love L3. So great. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is something else. She's fantastic. And, and like, and you can say what you want about the, how they go down this political standpoint in this movie with her and the, uh, 
what is it? The robot rights and all of that stuff. But <laughs> I think she adds a great bit of comedy here. And I think the movie would lose a little bit without her and that relationship she has with Lando. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of what they do with L3 here. And I know a lot of people had problems with that too. I'm with L3 is a scene stealer in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, It it works. It's a great visual design too. Uh, It's it's a great example. I I like how you're talking about sort of the inanimate object thing. But again, this is a film that when I, when I look at it, and if I were out there collecting all the action figures because I'm, you know, making G.I. Joe and, and Star Wars Part Two and filming that, I would want to pull all the characters out of this film. I love Rio. Rio's one of my favorites. Yeah. He's so good. He's he I mean, even for them being like these these thieves and 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 whatnot, like, but Rio's kind of a wholesome character. Like, even though they're thieves, he seems like he's he would be doing it for good, you know, like there's not something about Rio that makes me think, Oh, he's a bad guy. Like Beckett seems like he has a bad side, but Rio it's like, how did Rio get mixed up in all of this? But I love, I love the design of him. I love again, John Favreau's, you know, voice acting with him. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to find a whole lot of complaints for me with this movie. So, so let, let's talk about space action. Cause everybody loves space action, right? Cause you go to star Wars film. Can we all just agree that the train sequence, and I think you said this, Brad, the train sequence is one of the best. I, it has to be top five of the action sequences in all of the star Wars films. Absolutely. It's fantastic. And what these new iterations of star Wars movies, TV shows, whatever may be lacking in the story that people aren't happy with or whatever, you cannot deny that. I think every single one of these movies that have come out since Disney has bought them and started re reintroducing us to star Wars, there has been some major visual thing in it. That's been like, that is one of the best things in the star Wars universe. You know um, I'm, 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 I'm not really getting anything right now from um, Force Awakens, but I mean, Last Jedi, everybody shit on that movie, but it has one of the best lightsaber battles I've ever seen in a Star Wars movie in it. One it of the has, best openings. It has a great opening, which that's another thing a lot of people didn't like was the comedy in the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. I think it hits really well. Yeah. Um, that scene where she flies the ship through oh. the, the and, and the sound goes out, like... It talk about sending shivers down my back. Like the first time we saw that, I was like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Um, Rogue One. I mean, I could do a whole podcast about Rogue One. I almost, I like, I shed tears almost every time I watch that movie. Um, You don't want to get me going down that road, but um, yeah, I want to see you cry, Josh. (laughs) Do what? (laughs) I want to see you cry. Let's go. Uh, Dude. I mean, that movie is something else. And I know that one had a troubled production too, but um, I, I guess my biggest thing I'm trying to say here is you can't, you can't, you can't deny that there are great things going on within star Wars, even if you're not happy with everything they're doing. I, I I'm with you. The, the train sequence is so good. I think second to that is the Kessel run. You get the Falcon um, evading tie fighters in an asteroid field Beckett mm-hmm. at the laser cannons. You get the Cthulhu creature next to the gravity well, which is amazing. Um, the sound of the Falcon engine failing. I mean, as soon as I hear that, I I, I get goosebumps from that. It's it's one of my favorite noises, I guess. Um, and then Han and Chewie at the controls, punching to light speed. Like, I, I get goosebumps as that. I got goosebumps on the train sequence because it's so freaking exciting. 
Um, in between those two, and I will actually say the you know battle between uh, Dryden, Solo, and Kira, I, I've come to the conclusion that Ron Howard can actually film good action sequences. Solo is a great example of it. So the the and I'll. Here's the thing that really stands out for me, you know, the whatever 20th time I've seen this film. He has a great visual style with action that it makes sense and he does a great combination of shots and his editing is on point. Think about the camera work between um it, it was on uh Corellia with the speeder chase. There is a great tracking shot of the speeder going in and out of lanes coming to the camera going away from it, a single tracking shot and as the camera mm-hmm. moves that thing is gorgeous to look at, and then it, it's very kinetic, and it and it is it really highlights that chase sequence. And another example of great camera work is when they are trying to escape from the mining colony, and um, L three gets shot, and Lando is running towards the robot. And again, there's a fantastic kinetic tracking shot with Lando kind of going over things and sliding to the robot, explosions going off. It's it's never messy. Like, you know where everybody is on screen. You know if somebody's coming from the right, from the left. Um, even the little martial art, arts, uh, martial arts sequence that they shoot, it, it still has that Americanized editing to it, but it's still mm-hmm. so good. And it's not too long. Um, I think the Mortal Kombat movie could have learned a few things by just watching this film. (laughs) So, uh, but it's, it's got a great mix of these wide medium shots, fantastic editing. I mean, the name of the game on this film is the action is smooth and graceful and kinetic. And it's some of the best action that, that they filmed within this franchise. And Ron Howard does an amazing job at handling all of it. And not a Jedi or a lightsaber to be found. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, damn. Yeah, okay, hold on, <laughs> a little hold bit, on. A little bit. Uh, let's let's get to the performances. We talked a little bit about Alden. I I I, I like how you guys. So here's my take on it because we we've, we've talked a little bit about it. I don't know if Alden is. He does a great job of not imitating Harrison Ford. I I know right. you guys said that he gets all the you know mannerisms down, etc. I think here's the thing. Alden gets all the mannerisms down of Han Solo and does a great job of avoiding mimicking Harrison Ford, which Mm -hmm. I think is an amazing feat. And there was a lot of, I don't know, backlash or people making fun of the fact that they brought in an acting coach for Alden on set to work through this. But I, th- I think that comes through in the performance, and I know everybody goes on and on about Donald Glover. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't want to take away from his performance, but I think between him and Alden, they both are pitch perfect in trying to, hey, I'm bringing this, these beloved characters over into this film while not trying to imitate the actors who, who made them. Right. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. I, I, I love both of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to add to them. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, I'm not going to echo anything you just said. I mean, I don't think uh, he tries to, to be Harrison Ford. I don't think Donald Glover tries to be um, Lando's actor who's escaping me right now. Um, but, you know, I mean, Billy I don't D. understand Williams. why people have so much hate for this movie. <laughs> no, no, again, but, either. And, and here's the other thing. As good as they are, Woody Harrelson. Did you forget me, Billy D. Williams? Is that what you were? I just, yeah, yeah I okay. forgot Billy D. Williams' is his name. Get out. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, you know, the person nobody talks about enough in this film is Woody Harrelson, in my opinion. I, I think he's 
a standout. Uh, he's, he's great. He's the darker version of Han Solo, or or he's the possibility of Han Solo, and he has so many dimensions. He's he's a he's not a bad guy. I, I he's a complicated gray hero, I guess. Um, he's, but, he's, but so was Han until yeah. until certain instances. Yeah, like you hit the nail on the head there. He he is Han had Han not ran into Obi Wan and Luke. Well, it's, tattooing. Like, it's nice to have these characters too that are not Sith or Jedi. You know, like they're yeah. not good and they're not bad. Like we need some of that. You know, that's one of the criticisms of Star Wars is you're either a good guy or a bad guy, and you're on polar opposites. But having characters like uh, Tobias Beckett help kind of show like no, there are actually people in the middle that you know go both way. Well, go well that's way. one We're of the things. Language. That's one of the things everybody complains about in Last Jedi is DJ's character, uh, um, Benicio del Toro's character in that movie. Well, again, they win today, you win tomorrow. Like I love that they interject his character in there to show you that yeah, the Empire does this, but the Rebellion does this. Like there is a gray area here. There's not really a whole lot of talk of that, and that's. That's what I liked about that in Last Jedi, and a lot of people didn't like that. So, yeah, I, I like good guys who are faced with pragmatic decisions, and they're making decisions based on their concept of the people in the world. And that's yeah. why that's why I love Woody Harrelson's character because the advice he's giving, it's coming from a place of experience. And that to me, Woody Harrelson is one of the most I don't know, underrated actors out there today, because if you go back and look at his filmography and his performances and you look at, you know, where he may have started with a TV show like cheers and what he's become today, that guy to me is, is an acting legend, especially in some of the performances that he's pulled off. I mean, white men can't jump. You just can't top that. <laughs> That's, it's, it's a good example. He's a great filmography. Um, what, what did everybody think of Amelia Clark? I mean, she is a love interest, but she's also a heroine who sort of holds her own. Um, did, did you guys buy the relationship between, you know, uh, Kira and Han? A little bit. I kind of wish she had a little bit more screen time. You know, she's kind of out of the film for a good 20 to 30 minutes. Um, I mean, for good reason. But I, I, I do kind of wish she was up front a little bit more because I, I do think she's a nice a character. But, I, I, you know, you have Lando, you have Chewie, you have Solo, you have Beckett, you know, all these characters. And I feel like sometimes she gets relegated to the back. Well, it's, so that's a little disappointing. And, you know, maybe she would have had more screen time if they would have made another movie because yeah. they do set her up to, you know, rise in the ranks of Crimson Dawn. And here's the thing about uh, Amelia Clark I buy her. Uh, like going bad, like real bad in this movie. More, more than, than, than I buy Darius's turn. Yeah, in, in Game, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Um, and you know, it's it's another um kind of person that you're looking at here is someone who has basically grown up a slave and is still a slave, and she might be or had been a good person. But her circumstances force her yeah. into a life doing bad things. And she tries to tell Han over and over again, like, you wouldn't like me if you known the things that I've done. Um, but she does make the decision in the end to leave him behind and mm -hmm. continue with her, her life of 
I I don't have a problem with Amelia Clark or Kira's character in this. Um, but I can I can see where that would be, would have been something that could have been quite problematic. And and for the reason being is we are fully engulfed in our Han and Leia relationship. It's gonna be a tough sell to give me someone to get me out of knowing that Han's gonna be with Leia. Um now that's not to say that we can't have a fun adventure getting to that point. And I think she fits that bill, but ultimately we know, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. And that's the one thing that I think about having her here and having her as a love interest for Han ultimately will probably play into who he is later. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's her importance here. Cause we know he's not going to end up with her, you know? Right. I'll tell you what, one of my, one of my favorite parts of the film is when, you get towards the end. They're they're going to see Dryden Voss. They're both standing in the elevator, and Han is talking about, "Hey, we're going to win," and and she's explaining to him, "It's not about that. It's about staying in the game long enough." Yeah. And she delivers that line about, "I I think I know just a little bit more than you do." Mm-hmm. She she sells that. I, I really like her performance in this. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a lot more of her. And and like like you said, Jenny, I think there would have been more of her had there been mm-hmm. like a sequel. But I buy the fact that these two people are in love. They have great chemistry together. I think Amelia Clark is really good in this film. Um, an, another you know person that I don't think gets a lot of praise. I think everybody kind of gravitates to Donald Glover, but when you really look at the other performances in the film, I, I think they're just as strong. Um, in in Donald Glover, I mean, we've talked about this. I I, I think in some regards they might have just de-aged Billy D. Williams. <laughs> and, um, I mean, he's spot on in some. You know, Casey's so much fun to watch. Um, Paul Bettany, he's he's an okay villain. Uh, another thing I kind of like about this film is the story doesn't really have a bad guy driving the narrative. I mean, Paul Bettany really doesn't have a ton of screen time, yet he's talked about, you know, throughout the film. Yeah. Wasn't well, the true bad guy kind of in the background? Uh, yeah, I think so. But, yeah. I mean, this movie, at the end of the day, it's it's more about great characters maneuvering through sort of the underbelly of the universe with Paul Bettany just being an aspect of what they have to get around. And I think expanding Dryden Voss in the script would have been a misstep um, and concentrating too much on, on him as a big bad guy or even, you know, they have a great reveal at the end with Darth Maul. But I like the fact that it's more about these characters trying to survive and maneuver this very complex smugglers game. Um, and, and, you know, it, it really works for the script. Um, yeah, you owe me money, bring me my money. That's all I that's all it care is. about, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's going to be a common theme, which essentially like, that's really what I, if I can say one thing that I, that could have just like does in a sense, disappoint me is like, if you're going to give me a Han story, like the Han story I want to see is how he ended up in deep water with. Job of the Hut. Well, that was going to be next. Which yeah. was going to be next. Essentially, you could have done that with this movie if you played the script differently. Well, um, I think the script was out for a like a Han Solo trilogy. Right. Yeah. So. And I'm on board. I mean, you can still make it. You can. I don't know. Make it a TV show. That seems to be where we're going. But I, I, I want to see more of this. I want to see more of these characters. I, I desperately hope they do continue to do something with them. I don't know if they will, but. You know, can we talk about how dark this film is? This this film has some really messed up stuff going in it. I I don't know if you guys picked up on this. I I think L3. Well, you have like those freedom fighters. Well, I I want to talk about L3 for a minute. 
here's one aspect. So Empire Strikes Back gets a lot of credit for bringing some dark themes within the story and how it ends sort of on a downbeat. Uh, and that kind of permeates throughout the entire film. And, and Lawrence Kasdan had, you know, a, a, a lot to do with that. I, I think he interjects some of that in here. And I don't know about you guys, but every time I watch L3 and what happens to her it it's really dark if you think about it because yeah. here is i mean for comedic purposes you have a robot that is fighting for freedom from the organic overlords i love i love you know that like hey do you need anything oh yeah equal rights <laughs> you know stuff yeah. like that i love that whole aspect of it um and then she starts freeing other robots on the mining colony and creates this rebellion and says oh i have something to live for but you know her as a character who is always trying to be her own they don't wipe um, her memory because of her navigation yep. and she is trying to have this identity and be, be her own thing. Um, and she gets shot down. And so they take her conscience in her brain and it ends up trapped in the Falcon forever. And now she's a slave to the ship. I find that totally depressing. <laughs> for that it's character. pretty dark. Yeah. yeah. That is messed up. And I don't think enough people pick up on that. Um, it, like, yeah, I really fate. didn't kind of pick on that up either. Yeah, it's it, but, how it's just forever. Like, as long as that ship is going, yeah, L three is trapped. She <laughs> she's fighting not to be a slave to the organic overlord, and ends up being the integral piece for the organic overlord's travel. So, and that's yeah. what she's doing for the rest of her. I, I mean, that's. I think that's how good the script is, is because you see what happens to that character and it's not touching, um, you know, when she dies. I mean, it, it is touching, but kind of what ends up happening to her <laughs> based on what type of um, thing she was going for. That's kind of messed up where that goes. And I, I, I find she's like that, the Dante of this movie of this thing where she's just trapped in purgatory. She's, forever. Yeah, she's trapped in purgatory. She, she was, you know freeing all these robots and ends up being, you know, enslaved in the worst possible way. Well, ever. what makes it even worse is, I mean, it's, it's Lando's ship and she could have just been with Lando for the rest of her time or whatever in the, in the ship. But cause you know, she wants that. Yeah. It's, it, she makes it obvious she does, but <laughs> Han ends up with the ship. And so she's just a slave to Han in the ship at that point. And she's not with Lando anymore. That's it. I like that that kind of gave weight to why it was a little heartbreaking for Lando yeah. to lose the ship and why it is one of the best ships in the galaxy is because it has this excellent navigation system. And I kind of like that they gave us that background there, but yeah, you, when you put it that way, that is a pretty dark way of looking at how we got that. Yeah. And, and I love that Han kills his mentor. I mean, who's also kind of his friend and mm -hmm. Kira in the end really does know a little bit more than he does and, and leaves him. So there are elements of this script that I think do hearken to the best parts of Empire Strikes Back. And I think that does come from Kasdan. And, and again, as much as it's a fun, you know, space Western, it really has these dark undertones and is extremely complex. And again, it's, it's these great characters maneuvering through this underbelly of the galaxy and what happens. I mean, if you, think about how many characters are introduced and die in this film, uh, the, the number's pretty high. 
Mm-hmm. And even what happens to some of these folks, again, the, the L3's fate is kind of crushing, especially um, considering, you know, what her, her desire state was. But um, I, I love that. I mean, that, to me, that's, that's refreshing and surprising uh, for a Star Wars film. I think that's what make uh, why everybody kind of picks Empire to be so good is it's so complex and and you know name another film out there that is as complex as this and I think it comes down to Solo and maybe The Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean uh, this is definitely has a lot more complexity than horror movie dinosaurs. But we won't go down the road. <laughs> really bitter about that one, huh? Wow, <laughs> a little bit. Um, any other? Does Josh hold a grudge at all? She bit. she doesn't want to. Yeah, we don't want to go down that road. <laughs> the day we do Jurassic Park on the VHS files is going to be a day for the history books. Oh, I can't wait for that <laughs> one. Uh, did Did you guys have any big surprise? I, I'll tell you the other thing, and I still always get surprised. There, there's so many little surprises in this film. I don't know if you guys have a list. Like the first one that that pops to mind is um, Wookies eat people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> did, did anybody see that coming? Well, I mean, what were you expecting them to eat? I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess, mean, he was going to eat a porg. I mean, and, and Jenny, so the, were you a big Ewok fan with returning? Because you were talking about the Ewok village, so you you loved the little teddy bear aspect of it. I I mean, I was the small child, so of course I love the Ewoks. Like, I love the Ewoks too. Who doesn't love the Ewoks? Yeah. So it, it it doesn't bother you that they eat people as well. I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you think Leah something... got her outfit? At that that's from a dead person more than likely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they were gonna they were gonna cook. Yeah, yeah. It, on that's Leia something and... that really occurred to me when I was small. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But yes. Again, I always thought that was funny. He's like, oh, the Ewoks are Ewoks are so cute and cuddly. I'm like. Uh, nobody's like asking where Leah got her outfit from. I mean, they were getting ready to cook these people and eat them. That's kind of messed up too. That's Wait, what I love about. Her, do you call her Leah? Leah, Princess Leah, 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 Leah. Uh, I thought we've established oh, how horrible the, the, I, I am. I think the things. internet just broke because. Whoa. <laughs> what? Go ahead and correct it's me. Leia. Like, Leia, come on. Leia, yeah, Leia. I think right, some people go. would have trouble with you pronouncing it that way. You know I, what? Don't, I don't think you want to go down that path. Listener, there, Troy. Listener, I'm will, very sorry that Troy. I will pronounce it however I Can want. We... <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that man, they mentioned Bosk. He was always one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Dark or or Aura Aura Zing. Is that her name? Aura Zing. Yeah, from the. I think she's from Clone Wars, but. They talk about Tobias killed her. Oh, oh okay. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I think I think she's one of the. Okay, this may spark some internet controversy as well as we claim to be Star Wars fans, yet we have not watched Clone Wars or Rebels at this point. Yikes. So, anything that's going on there, we're not super Hand in your too, card, Josh. Just hand it in. Hey, hey I've, I've, on, I've watched the first four seasons of Clone Wars. That I've ended yes, it there. Hey, hot take: the Clone Wars is not a great TV show. It it. Out of like all the episodes, maybe fifty percent of them are good. The other fifty percent are garbage. I mean, but I, I want to watch Rebels so bad, but I feel like if I don't watch Clone Wars, I'm not going to get Rebels. So, okay, Troy, what? let's talk about the reveal. The review. The reveal. Oh, the reveal. Yeah, Darth Maul isn't dead. He's half robot now. Yeah, he's got robot legs. Well, you can ask Jenny. Like that got the biggest response out of me when we saw it. I think it. everybody in the theater knew. The, that there was a, a like an audible. Gasp oh, yeah. in our theater. It was just like, 
you know, because they kind of take a second and then like you see his face and you're like, wait a minute, is this what I think it is? And then all of a sudden it's Darth Maul and you're like, what? And you see he has like robot legs and man, that might be the most disappointing aspect of not getting a continuation of this is like. That's Not what I mean. Like people complain that Darth Maul could have been this great character and they go down that path in Clone Wars and um, Rebels and whatnot with, with Darth Maul and he's beloved to all these Star Wars fans and yet the movie they try to bring him back, everybody shits on it. Like it, <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. Well, they loved him in the Clone Wars. I, I have seen yeah. the yeah. episodes yeah. where they bring him back, which is fun. Um, and, but when when they show the hologram and you can see the robot leg, like my eyes almost popped out of my head. And then as soon as they did the reveal, I think I was like, "No way!" Like, did you bruise? Was, did you bruise Jenny's ribs because you were like nudging her with your elbow so much? Like, huh? huh? I, I don't think I on. nudged her, but everybody in that theater knew I was excited for sure. <laughs> okay, as cool of a reveal as that was, how about the fact that you also get Clint Howard and Warwick <laughs> Davis? Those are two big yes. surprises. I was more, well, I mean, of course, I, I kind of figured that we were going to have a Clint Howard in there somewhere. But when I saw Warwick Davis, I was like, oh, yeah. Warwick Davis shoots a bazooka at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, did, did you guys catch the Indiana Jones props in Dryden Voss's office? I think I saw a YouTube video where they pointed that out, but yeah, I didn't there's catch like the Mandalorian, there's some Mandalorian armor yeah. and all sorts of stuff. I did there. see that. You, you get the idol from Raiders in the background. I think it's sitting right underneath the crystal skull or like a version of that. I, yeah. li I like those little things in the background. Um, the soundtrack, John Williams, you know, what I love about this soundtrack, it has some of the classic callbacks from, you know, the regular star Wars, you know, the, the, the Falcon theme or et cetera. But Man, he he does a great job of coming up with like new music, but that blend of of the classic themes. John Williams does so. I, I have every one of these soundtracks on vinyl, and I listen to them all the time. They're so good. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, uh, when when the Force Awakens was coming out, and they released that first teaser trailer, and I think the end of the trailer, you saw Han and Chewie get onto the Falcon, and Han goes, "Chewie, we're home." Like, I remember that got an emotional response out of me. I was like, oh, my God, this is happening. And I think that's why, like, you're going to give me a solo movie with Han and Chewie. I'm going to be excited about it. Yeah. And my favorite scene in this movie is when Lando is injured and they have to get away. And Han takes that seat in the captain's chair and you hear that da -da 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 -da. you hear the Falcon theme come through there. And then when Chewie finally sits down, like it just sends goosebumps all over me, man. Like it's, that's what I want. I want to see my favorite characters from star Wars having adventures. And this movie does a great job of that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, Brad, you wanted to talk about rogue one in comparison to this. Yeah. So I, you know, the, we only got two sort of star Wars stories and rogue one and, and this one. And as much as I like this movie, cause we'll never get to talk about rogue one. Cause it was, Massive. Um, I, I do like Rogue One was one of those things that when I saw it, like made me appreciate A New Hope more. Um, and to the point where like, I think Rogue One is one of the best things Star Wars has ever done. Um, I don't know if I'm out on an island by myself, but I love Rogue One so much. And I, it's a, to me, it's better than this movie, but um, I, I just kind of wish we got these one-offs 
Um, you know, I, I guess we're going to kind of get them more in, in TV shows now, but to me, they were a success and I, I'm kind of sad that we're not, um, getting more of these, but we'll see. Um, I, I kind of want to go down that road a little bit because I'm, I'm right there with you, Brad. Um, if I'm giving my rundown of star Wars movies, it's empire and rogue one. And then where you can go wherever from there, uh, rogue one affects me on an emotional standpoint. It is a, I mean, we've been watching star Wars movies for 40 years and over 40 years. And like, you finally gave me a movie with the star war in it with rogue one. Like, okay, we finally got to see the star war. Like, I love the fact that like, okay, I'm just going to go down this tangent here now, since we're kind of getting close to the end, but like this movie ultimately suffers from like, it's like the sins of the father sort of thing. They, I think what ultimately hurt solo was it's coming after rogue one where rogue one impressed everybody in a sense. I'm sure there are people out there that have their problems with it. Um, I don't really have too much problem with it, but like you're giving us the last Jedi rogue one. And then you're throwing this in there. Like, like you said, star Wars fatigue. Plus you throw in the fact that we've had a lot of major movies around that time. You had Captain Marvel, you had Infinity War, Captain Marvel, um, Endgame, all within that year span. So like, there's just, there was such an oversaturation of all of this fandom going on that I think this ultimately really just was lost within the shuffle of all of that. And really after Rogue One, it was going to be hard to top, honestly, because I think Rogue One is that good. I think had Solo came out now, like around this time of COVID when we're kind of longing for this sort of entertainment. Um, I don't think this movie would have done as bad. Well, movies aren't doing well right now anyway, but I think it would have been accepted a lot more. It absolutely suffered from the time that it came out. And I do not understand wanting to release a Star Wars movie in the summer based on their track record when they started this whole new wave of releasing them in, in December. December. Yep. Because it's too, yeah, it was absolutely too close to the last Star Wars movie. You put it like a week after Infinity War mm -hmm. and then Deadpool 2 and then Jurassic World. <laughs> um, but it, it just, it shouldn't have come out then. Yeah, I Absolutely. mean, I, I think they, this movie is a prime example of, I think, where people were right in a sense of Disney maybe ruining our Star Wars. Ruining is a strong war, word. I think they were just trying, they were oversaturating us at this point. And I think this movie ultimately suffered because of that. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, you never fathomed a Star Wars movie not being a gigantic hit. Right. It was right. You know, inconceivable at the time. And, then and again- it made $300 million. It made a lot of money, just not the money it took to make it. So, yeah, yeah here, here's where I will disagree. I don't think it's a case of oversaturation at all. I, I think this took the blunt of The Last Jedi. If, if The Last Jedi yes. was such a huge hit and you had, um, so think about the Marvel films. If, if you had the audience accept The Last Jedi the way that they would accept the Marvel films in terms of, you know, audience score, popularity, if, if it had even come close to 
matching what everybody's expectations were because at the end of the day it really comes down to do you like what they did with the luke mythos with the last jedi and a lot of people were like no absolutely not and mark hamill didn't like it etc if people had embraced it and last jedi was a huge success and everybody said man we love where star wars is going the way they loved where the marvel movies were going it would had nothing to do with star wars fatigue this film took just a beating i think because think about it now solo a lot of people are going back to and going man that movie's really good and it is having sort of this resurgence of love that it just didn't get on its release and that's because it's gotten some time away from the last jedi and the fact that we have the mandalorian i mean this is more in line with the mandalorian tv show than anything Mm -hmm. so if this came out when everybody's in love with the mandalorian in the theaters i think this would just be a a huge box office success and i i think this again from a timing perspective it's not star wars fatigue it's people going i don't like the choices and again this is where you get the kathleen kennedy hate and everything else and you know everything who's ever running this franchise is just off their rocker um so uh, that's where i kind of disagree um and and in terms of rogue one i'm curious jenny i mean do you have this same kind of love for rogue one that that josh and brad have yeah i do it's top five star wars film for sure it i mean it's way way up there i i think it's fantastic and that movie is a good example of like you can have trouble behind the scenes and still put out a good product well yeah and yeah i think they did with this one too is trouble behind the scenes they still put it Mm -hmm. and and for me i i until probably today i would have ranked it um a new hope empire and then rogue one but Here's the thing. The more I watch Solo, the more it just edges out Rogue One for me. So if you're talking top oh. four, I, I would actually kind of go um, A New Hope, Empire, Solo, Rogue One. I love Solo. But I'm also more partial to, to space westerns. Um, I love everything that's going on. And every time I watch this, again, I'm picking up on something and there's there's a there's just this tone uh, that I think is pitch perfect for this Han Solo Chewbacca relationship and the character in this world. Um, and the thing I've always loved about Star Wars is not just what's going on, but everything that's going on around the story and around the narrative. And I think that's where this edges out Rogue One for me a little bit. Rogue One is a fantastic movie. Don't get me wrong. But just take that poker table and the visuals and everything that's going around for the creatures. Rogue One doesn't have that for me. Um, and I know I'm probably getting kicked out of the Donnie Yen fan club for saying that because um, <laughs> I, every every Chimwet Umwe figure that they've ever put out for Rogue One, I own it. I, I instantly buy it, probably buy two copies of it. It's one of my favorites. And I, I got so excited when Donnie Yen was in that universe. But I got to tell you, Solo, I think, is uh, a more star wars film than rogue one is and when i compare it to the original trilogy so that's why it just slightly edges it out for me a little bit i can't argue with that um any any other details like i said anything else you wanted to 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 bring up with you know kind of going back and revisiting this thing no i am i mean again i'm a little bit disappointed that we won't get to see how this would have played out um i'm still holding out hope i'm still holding out hope that the tv era of star wars could revitalize it 
As much um, as I love the TV stuff, like, I don't know, there's just something about seeing a Star Wars movie. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree with you. But if it's if it's that or nothing, yes, I'd rather take the TV yeah. series. It's not. I mean, they've they've tried to run a bunch of campaigns um, with you know Solo Two, bring that back, and I think I think Alden is still under his three picture contract. Uh, it, it's probably a long shot, but it doesn't mean it's you know <laughs> just a one hundred percent no. It's not going to happen. I'll I'll say this. I am loving the fact that more and more people are discovering it and going back and watching it and sort of, you know, coming back to it and saying, okay, that actually is a really good film. And this one I think is gaining in popularity. Again, the more time it gets away from, you know, (laughs) the last Jedi and some of the other things that are out there. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Josh. Like I, the, the last Abrams film that they did, uh, the rise of Skywalker, I I think it's kind of hot garbage. Um, but it is a direct reaction of a studio looking at the first Star Wars film to take a loss and looking at the the critical reception from the fans of The Last Jedi and saying, we got to scrap the story that we're going to do for that third film. And mm-hmm. we have to bring in J.J. Abrams and a bunch of other people. And we got to retool this thing um, and kind of bring the fans back. So, and don't get me wrong, the, there are elements of The Last Skywalker I like, but out of all of the films, I, I I kind of find more interesting things in the prequels than I do in that last one. And to me, I was so disappointed to see what they were doing with The Last Jedi, what they were doing with Rogue One, what they were doing with Solo. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're heading in the right place. And then to come out with The Rise of Skywalker um, and the story beats and elements that they tried to bring back there and some of the resolution and backtracking they did. I, I I was probably more disappointed by that out of the new stuff. I think that's why I haven't been compelled to go back to it. I was very excited. I remember enjoying watching it, but honestly, I was disappointed ultimately that they, I could tell that they had to re up on where they were going with this story. Um, that was one thing I loved about the last Jedi was like it, I loved the idea that Ray could be nobody yep. and that's where our story could go. Um, but ultimately that's not what happened. And, and it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if, if I knew that this is ultimately where they were going to go with it, okay, fine. But I feel like there was something else there and because of pressure from the fans and studio or whatever, they had to re up on what they were doing and I think that's why ultimately I'm like, okay, well, they finished what they were doing, but I don't know if it really satisfied me. Did you ever read any of the Duel of Fates script or anything like that or what they were planning on doing? Yeah. And it, I heard about some yeah. of it. Yeah. And it, and it, it looked interesting. interesting. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and like I said, there, again, there's not, in my opinion, there's not such a thing as a um, bad Star Wars film. And like I said, I, 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 I'm probably using too much hyperbole calling Rise of Skywalker hot garbage, but um, it's one of those films that each time I go back and revisit, and I saw it three or four times in the theater, but every time I watch it, I I get a little less out of it versus more. Yeah. And, and to me, that's kind of a problem for, for Star Wars. It, it should make me go, hey, that five-minute sequence and what was going on and what are those things and, oh, I want to learn about that. And I, I still read the Marvel comic series, both the Star Wars and Darth Vader stuff that they're putting out, and I, I love that stuff. Um, Rise of Skywalker just, um, like I said, it, 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 it just felt like a course correction 
where, uh-huh. you know, commerce and art were coming together and going, we got to put a little bit more commerce in here. And uh, again, that's, that's why I really loved coming back to solo uh, because it, it, it's just fun. It's a lot of and fun. ultimately what breaks my heart with with Star Wars and, and even the Marvel Universe now and the fandom and toxic fandom and all of that is, you know, now that we have the Internet and all these people are able to speak their opinions like you end up with all of the, the crap going on with Rose from Last Jedi and how she yeah. got all this hate on her yeah. social media. Um, we've got. um Wyatt Russell going through this now with the stuff with Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it's like, guys, these actors are not the characters and you don't need to bombard them with this. And that's what really breaks my heart about all of this is like, you know, Daisy Ridley going into uh, The Force Awakens as this new strong female character and ultimately brought down because the fans just weren't happy with what they were doing. Now, you know, Star Wars has probably tainted her like she probably feels differently about star Wars than she did when she was first excited to be a part of this. Same goes for Wyatt Russell joining the MCU and, and, and Rose and then the, uh, the last Jedi, like these people probably felt something in them that was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a part of something that's been a part of my life. And now ultimately like they probably hate that they're a part of it now. And that's what really kind of gets me about all of this is I hate that, the people that really love these things are ultimately going to get hurt by it because people just have toxic fandom and, and, and say what they say on the internet and do all of that stuff. And that's really the most heartbreaking part for me. Yeah. And heaven forbid you're a strong black man who stands up for, you know, social issues and people yeah. tell him to keep yeah. politics out of stuff. And you're just, Poor John, John Boyega. Boyega I, yeah. I love him, man. Yep. He is, he is awesome. I've loved him since attack the block. Episode two. Yeah. Right, I, I, no, yeah, three, 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 episode three. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I, I get it. I, there are a lot of, a lot of passionate people out there. I love the fact that they get, you know, impassioned. I don't love the fact that they, they maybe express that in the most negative way, but give the, you know, give this whole thing a little bit of time. I, I think it's really hard to judge a film, uh, in the now. And a lot of times you got to go back and revisit it five, 10 years later Well, you make a good point there in that, like everybody shit on the prequels for so long. And now that we've got the sequels and Kathleen Kennedy taking over and blah, 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 blah. And now they're like, oh, the prequels are awesome compared to all of this stuff. So (laughs) in 20 years, where are we going to be with the the sequel trilogy and what's going on now? Like people are going to love it and they're going to hate what's happening then. You know, it's yeah, no, I get it. Vicious cycle. (laughs) And I'm sure five years from now, I'll go back and watch Rise of Skywalker and go, hey, I appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, simply because my expectations are are now more in check or something of that nature. And, you know, it's funny, Brad, you were reading those reviews and you hear this social justice warrior stuff that kind of keeps coming up. You know, here's, here's the thing. I, I think people have to understand we need a little bit of that right now. Yes. I, I think it's a good thing that every Mm -hmm. once in a while our art sort of tackles what's going on within society and don't get me wrong, I, I go to the movies to escape kind of what's going on in the real world, but I like the fact that there are kids out there that are watching Star Wars and are getting a little bit of a message, and and sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's subtle, I get it, It, but if it's an element of the narrative and it makes sense, I'm okay with it, and I, I think these scripts do a really good job of putting that in there, but for these folks who don't like their political commentary and 
the social justice warrior kind of stuff in their media. Um, hey, dumbasses, it's been going on for decades. And mm-hmm. back in 1977, Lucas had put it in a little bit of a space opera. So get over yourself. Um, yep. That little SJW crap you've been flinging around, um, it, it's been around for a long time, and it's all a part of your childhood. You, you're just too dumb to realize it. So, yeah. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite story or my favorite thing I've ever seen is – Someone reached out to Tom Morello on Twitter and asked him to please stop being so political. <laughs> and he had to say, dude, have you ever heard any of our music? And I thought, you know what? That is the most like someone reaching out to someone who was literally in a band that was probably the most political band of all time and telling him to stop, be politi- stop being political on Twitter. And I was like. Yeah, I think That's it's his was peak. We've hit peak like he was like, "What exactly did you think we were raging against?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, I get it. I, the whole Oscar talk lately of people like, "Oh, well, nine million viewers, lowest ever," because people are giving speech. Yeah, I, I get that. That's overboard. D- don't. But at at the end of the day, we as a culture are trying to put narratives and tales out there and dazzle everybody, right? And, and it's okay if you put a little messaging in it. Now, you don't, again, want to just hit people over the head with it. And I know movies get it wrong when they do that. But not to have any of those elements within, you know, the two hours of entertainment that you're watching, to me, that's just not good entertainment. It, it may yeah. be fun. It may be like junk food. And you need a little junk food in your life. You need a Twinkie every once in a while, right? <laughs> but you, you, at the end of the day, don't want to have an entire diet of Twinkies. So... Um, it, it's okay, folks. I mean, it, it doesn't make, and Solo has it, but again, I, I think it, it has, you know, some interesting commentary, not just commentary. So, um, but that I, Hey, look, I'm off my soapbox, but let's, let's just get to the question at hand, uh, which is this podcast is called not a bomb. And let's start with our fantastic new guest, Jenny. I, I can't wait, um, to hear your final thoughts on this, but the question is, is Solo a Star Wars story from 2018? Is it a bomb? Absolutely not. I this movie's fantastic. If if people haven't seen it who are listening, they they need to go watch it. And if they have seen it, they need to go watch it again. Like <laughs> I want to go watch it again now after having our discussion about it. And I just saw it two days ago. So um I really feel like this movie holds up as a Star Wars story, as a you know, it's a fun movie. Who doesn't want to watch a fun Star Wars movie? Amen. Yes. <laughs> That's great. All right, Josh, your turn. Is is Solo a bomb? No, absolutely not. I, I kind of got on my soapbox there a little while ago. I won't go through it again, but I believe this movie was very much a victim of circumstance. Is it the best movie in the world? No. It is fun. It is a fun Star Wars movie, just like Jenny just said. Um, it's, it's beloved characters that we've loved since we were children. I can't understand how, if you, if you love these characters, how you don't like seeing them on screen, having an adventure, you know, finding each other. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it's something I would have always wanted to see. And now I'm getting it as a, as a 40 year old adult and it, it's fine with me. Like I have no problems with it. And I really do think this was just a victim of circumstance. Um, there's a lot, I think, you know, I think there was a lot going on with the box office that hurt it. But again, I also agree with you, Troy. I think this was coming off a lot of people's hate for the last, uh, the, the last Jedi. And they were taking out their, their frustrations on the star Wars franchise 
about the last Jedi with solo. And it just, it came out when it did. And that's, that's where it lay, you know, but I, I, I love this movie. It's not a bomb whatsoever in my opinion. And I, I am holding hope that they make more of them. Disney, we know you're listening. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, right, Kathleen Kennedy's a regular listener of this show. I mean, she should, you know, take our advice. Mm-hmm. I, hey, I, I hope so. I, like I said, I, I, <laughs> no, it's true. Troy, stop. You don't I'm, have to know. I'm true. probably going to get canceled by the star Wars fandom by saying Kathleen Kennedy has done a, a great service. No, you called princess Leia the wrong name. That's where you're going to go. Princess Leah. Um, yeah. all right, Brad, this is your pick is, is solo star Wars story a bomb? No, not a bomb. That's it. It's not a bomb. Go watch it. It Hi. is like they said, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. We need fun movies. And it's a fun movie in the Star Wars universe that has no lightsabers, no Jedi's really, but you know, it's got your beloved Han Solo and it's it's great. It's great. That's the thing though, Star Wars doesn't need Jedi. Yeah. It 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 has so much other stuff that you don't have to have that there. And that's what people have also got to cling on to. In my yeah. Well, Hey, look, Josh, you said, is it the best movie in the world? No, uh, you're right. It's the best movie in the galaxy. Um, so, <laughs> far, far away, <laughs> far, far away. No, I, you, you guys nailed it. It's a fun film. I love it. I, I, this is one of the rare films that every time I go back and watch it, I, I love it more. And I, I can't, I'm kind of like with Jenny. As soon as I watched it, and now that we've talked about it, I'm going, "Wow, it's late at night." But I could squeeze in two <laughs> plus hours. <laughs> you can get to the train sequence pretty easily. Yeah, I think so. No, it's it's so much fun. Okay, so the great discussion, guys. I I loved talking Star Wars with all of you. I I love this topic, um, and I I think we did it a, a pretty good service. Brad, we get to talk about a new movie next week. <sighs> That was a heavy sigh, dude. So that did not seem like a happy sigh. <laughs> I'm kind of excited about this next one because Brad and I just we have an amazing relationship. We go back many, many years. And one of my favorite things to do is to kind of pick a film that I know might be a little bit of a chore for Brad that might challenge, you know, oh, his... is it is it an Argento movie? No, no. I think, oh, I think it. it might even be better <laughs> than an Argento film, but there, there was a recent release of a new Blu-ray, um, huge special edition. And so as soon as I saw this, I'm like, Oh, I remember that film. I, I remember seeing it. I remember just having an entirely puzzled look on my face and as soon as I looked up sort of the box office performance, what people thought about this, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this film. So next week, we are going to talk uh, about a little film starring The Rock, and it is called Southland Tales. Are you excited, Brad? I am not. I am not. <laughs> I'm super I, excited I about this. this movie so much. Okay. I'm excited for this, and I'll tell you why. Because... <laughs> Brad and Troy and I are on a text thread together and I'm at Best Buy one day and I'm like, guys, I need a new movie here. And I'm sending them pictures of the stuff I'm seeing and I send them Southland Tales. And Brad was like, don't buy that movie. He's like, I forgot what the whole conversation was, but Brad was so anti. He's like, you could get any other movie on the shelf and I guarantee you it's better than that. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited to hear this conversation. <laughs> I, I'm excited to go revisit it. So the the cool thing about the new release is it has the theatrical cut and then um, the infamous uh, Con Film Festival cut, which is supposed to be longer. And there's a lot. It's longer? Yeah, it's longer. So I'm sorry, Brad. 
there, there's a lot of stuff leading up to this film. And the, and the director is extremely interesting as well. So this is the type of film that I love talking about with Brad because it becomes one of those things where you can go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And I, I love kind of finding out why some th- movies that take chances and sort of big, bold chances in their narrative and fail, like just just fall flat on their face. I love talking about those films and finding out why it doesn't work or why it just rubs somebody the wrong way. And and for somebody to come out swinging and go, I absolutely hate that film. I can tell you right now that's going to make it to the top of the list, especially if it bombed. And if it's something that I kind of find interesting. So yes, um, not, not to, not because I just like torturing Brad, although it's a small benefit. Uh, we're gonna I kind of wish I would have brought that. I kind of wish I would have bought that Blu-ray now because <laughs> I sort of want to watch this movie. <laughs> It's it's interesting. I'm I'm so excited to do a deep dive into it. And next week, I'm hoping to kind of come back and talk about the Blu-ray and say, hey, is it is it worth the investment? Because it's got a lot of special features. So, uh, yeah, next week should be super interesting. We're we're going to talk about Southland Tales. That's Richard Kelly, right? It's Richard yes. Kelly. So it's the Donnie Darko guy. Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Oh, Donnie Darko just came out on 4K. I want to pick that up. Yep. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> I got a, I got a problem too. I got to quit buying so much. Okay, so Brad, if I'm sorry, I'm I'm really deflated right now. <laughs> we got you got to reinflate or whatever because um, we we've got a lot of people who may have stumbled across this podcast and I'm like, man, I'm, I've never heard of Not a Bomb before. There was a Star Wars thing, so I listened to it, and I want to you know give my thoughts on on this film. So how do they get a hold of us and share their thoughts on 2018's Star Wars uh, film? Uh, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Um, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us there. Uh, our website is not a bomb podcast at or not a bomb podcast.com. So you can find us there. Jenny, Josh, uh, you want to do a little plug for your amazing podcast. I'm right in the middle of the never ending, never ending story right now. Uh, and I really wish I could have seen you like that movie, Jenny. (laughs) I maybe a little bit. (laughs) I I really was hoping there'd be some video of Jenny's reaction to, I think Eric played that commercial. (laughs) I did not even know that existed. I mean, there is somewhere right? there is footage yeah. i could probably find it and play it for <laughs> oh my god because it had to be the same expression that i had where i'm like this, this can't be what is this? i mean i was in shock but yeah you want to tell everybody where they can find you um we are vhs files podcast on all the social medias so you can find us at vhs files podcast you can drop us emails at vhs files podcast at gmail.com uh we typically release a new episode every week we're kind of shifting our schedule a little bit but uh never ending story is our latest episode Uh, you can go check that out anywhere you get podcast and we just recorded our robocop episode and that will be up this week so check it out and uh hit that subscribe button and let us know what you think and drop us some five-star ratings and all that good stuff we will appreciate it yeah and and i can't say this enough so if you, if you like our podcast go check out the vhs files and share it with folks leave a review tell us what you think we'd, we'd love to you know get your thoughts and um i am so grateful brad continues to share the numbers and i'm i'm simply amazed that more than 10 people listen uh so thank you and uh i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening i hope you're having an awesome day thank you for joining us for an epic discussion over star wars i I guess it's only fitting to say uh may the force be with you
Damn it, I was gonna say that. <laughs> Thanks. Goodbye, have a nice day. Bye, you scruffy looking nerf herders. God damn it, Troy. <laughs>